I agreed to give you your freedom, $25 per brittle brother, $75. And as if on cue, here comes the sheriff. Okay, boys. Fun's over. Come on out. All right, folks. Calm down. Go about your business. Jokers will be gone soon. Now, why y'all want to come into my town and start trouble? And scare all these nice people? You ain't got nothing better to do than to come into Bill Sharp's town and show your ass. Do you expect me to talk? And welcome to episode 109 of Do You Expect Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and as always, joined by the illustrious Dave and Chris. How are you both doing? Feeling illustrious. I was going to come in and say, like, the D is silent, but... <laughs> yeah. No, not many what people, not people realise that Chris is, like, spelt with a D at the beginning. It's D like... is DC. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an unusual way to spell and actually, there's four Ds at the front of my name. Three of them are silent. Oh. I've got two Ds at the beginning of my name, and then one is silent. <laughs> oh, dear. I was going to do the 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 um, introduction in a similar style to what I've done in previous weeks. I'm like, oh, I have a, a warrant here from Sheriff, blah, 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 you know, circuit court judge, but I just thought, oh, no, I can't be bothered with this one. Um, so I'm just going to be walk standard and do a normal introduction. So That's all right. You've still Apologies, given, listeners. You've still given the listeners a peek behind the magic. <laughs> mm, well, I had a hard time with this film, so I, I still think it's brilliant. But I had a really hard time, so I'm just going to be very passive aggressive and so not do my usual. Had a hard time with it, like is in what you found it a difficult watch, or you didn't enjoy this watch. What was the? I had to shy away from it, but we'll go through it as we go along. Uh, is it the violence? She wussed out on the violence. Yeah, that's one. That's one way I wussed out. But Tom Savini, so obviously you've got that. Um, the, the homage is there, haven't you? So. And that's another scene I had problems with. Well, everyone but, has a problem with that scene. If it's near the end of the film, everyone's got a problem with that scene. But again, yeah. given my American studies yeah. degree, I found you know you you can you can, you can look at a, a, a Django well, taking Glorious Bastards. I don't think it's too long, and I wouldn't trim much from it. But if if people said it's too long, which I've heard people say, if you got ten people who thought it was too long to tell you why, they'd start wanting to cut different things from each other. If you if you said to ten people, "Where's Django Unchained? Too long," they'd all name that scene. It's it's demonstrably too long in one place. Yeah, sure. I think yeah. With this film, I think I don't know um, length. Is tell us who's problem. in it. Tell us about who's in it and all that stuff first, Becca. Yeah, we're, we're going to get in there. Well, I've only because um, the cast is so massive. I've squished it down to the main people. Amazingly enough. Anyway, yes, tonight we are 
not quite at the end, but we're nearing the end of our Tarantino retrospective. So tonight we are discussing Django Unchained, starring Jamie Foxx, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kerry Washington, Christoph Bugs, Samuel L. Jackson, Wilson Goggins in a fantastic turn, um, Don Johnson <laughs> and Franco Nero, amazingly. Um, obviously written and directed by Tarantino and released in 2012 or January 2013 over here in the UK. I, I know... I noticed on the viewing, Franco Nero is given like a, a friendly participant credit. Yes, he has a credit at the beginning with friendly participation of Franco Nero, which I think uh, is, Fran- is, is Franco only... Nero being Django in the nineteen sixty six film. Exactly, that name, Django. Um, actually, both of uh, we talked back along about Jackie Brown came out on on Christmas Day in ninety seven. Both of the final two of Quentin Tarantino's films came out on Christmas Day in the United States. When we get next week to The Hateful Eight, that came out on Christmas Day 2015. In both cases, we got them in January. Yeah, I think it was uh, yeah, it was like later on in January, wasn't it? It was almost like a month apart, which was kind of pretty uh, frustrating. Yeah, it was a bit of a gap, wasn't there? I was, yeah, I always get frustrated with this. Having said that, uh, if you're opening on Christmas Day, well, we only have Boxing Day here. We have it on Boxing Day here. Um tends to be a very slightly bigger release on Christmas Day in the US than Boxing Day here. Uh, I think the biggest film I can think of released on Boxing Day in recent years might have been Jack Reacher. You know, they don't tend to go with massive, massive films. Um, I would have expected to got it, get it in January. It will have opened on Christmas Day more or less almost for like awards consideration. Um, and he did win some awards. Quentin Tarantino won Best uh, Screenplay for this, Best Original Screenplay. That would have been, obviously, I would have thought. Best Supporting uh, Actor as well, wasn't it? Best supporting, act, best supporting Actor to Christoph Waltz, which we'll talk talk about in a minute because this is the loosest definition of supporting actor I think I've ever seen. <laughs> because to all intents and purposes, if you called this film anything else but having Django in the name, he's the lead. Uh... I mean, Django is still the focus of the film. I mean, and he's in pretty much all the scenes, Django. Uh, I, I do always feel that his character is definitely a supporting, even though it's... It depends how you class supporting. Is it, do we class it as screen time or or what? I don't know, but I always picture I mean, not I, the, I know the main driving force or just a, Well, just a word on casting. Will Smith turned this film down. And he turned it down saying, because the part wasn't the lead. Now, that might be famously actors have a terrible, some actors have a terrible ability to completely almost misread scripts. I mean, this is the same man who turned down The Matrix to do Wild Wild West. Um, (laughs) Which still blows my mind as as a decision, because you just think, that's the ultimate play it safe guy, because even if he, I'd still rather have been in The Matrix had it been a disaster just because it was just so much braver as an idea. But anyway, um, he turned it down on the basis that he wasn't the lead. I think the other thing the other thing that really accentuates it in my mind is Jamie Foxx is a bit of a void in this film. He's very quiet and softly spoken as well, which is probably fairly deliberate to the character. But he's a bit of a void. So you've, you've got this guy dominating the screen next to him, having 80% of the dialogue when they're, when they're in scenes together. And he's in all but a couple of scenes at the very end of the film. To all intents and purposes, he feels like the lead to me. Mm. It's not something I'd argue too strongly about because you're right in saying Django is the through line in the film. But, um, yeah, one of the biggest stars 
Hollywood's had in the last 20, 30 years turned the film down on the basis that he didn't believe Django to be the lead in this film. Yeah, I, I mean, I read it, I don't know how true it is, but I think it was down to something really petty as in, like, well, he's the one that kills the bad guy. And even though that happens, like, just before the last act, it's, um, it's like, well, I don't think that quite makes him the lead, does it? But I, I don't know how true that is, or may, or maybe the it was a, it, the script was different when he read it. I don't know. But yeah. the names are, the names I've heard that were in consideration for Django were obviously Will Smith, and I believe the other name in the frame was Michael K. Williams. And I think of the three of them, I only read that today. And of right. the three of them, that's the one. See, I've always thought I wish Will Smith had taken it because I just think Will Smith has just more screen presence and charisma or would have had in this role perhaps than Jamie Foxx. I've seen Jamie Foxx very good in some things in the past, but he's just, some something's not quite right in this film. But when I saw the name Michael K. Williams as well, I really got excited by that. I really thought, yeah, that's what I would have wanted, but I don't think a studio would have wanted it, to be honest. But we'll see. Yeah, I, I can probably... It'll I, come I, out one day. I, I can probably see that. You, you think of things like, you know, like uh, Samuel Jackson and Pulp Fiction and things like that. Take like, the guy who's not a, quite a big name yet and you give him like a big Michael a big K. Shot. Williams is a little bit more ambiguous as to mm. whether he would he would be playing good or bad. Brought with him the baggage of playing Omar in The Wire, who is very oh, yeah. much an, an anti-hero. And also, he's, he's, frankly, he's got that big scar across his face as well. I don't know if it would have been quite as media friendly a casting in what is the lead role, whatever you know, at least technically the lead role anyway. Um, but yeah, that that was the other casting I'd I'd heard for this. Other other casting was uh, Don Johnson had a role at one point, but his part got sort of boiled down into the Walton Gog, Goggins character. Um, and I think that's about it. I, th I, I think that's about it for alternates I, that I've heard of. I heard, um, again, this could be kind of similar lines to what you said. I heard it was Kevin Costner who had a who had a role in that. What did of, I say? Uh, Don. Um, yeah. Did Martin I say Bison. Don Johnson? Yes. Oh, Don Johnson's in it. Sorry, yeah. I meant Kevin Costner. Sorry, Don yeah. Johnson is in the film. Oh, okay. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner was cast in the film. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I, it was like. I heard it was like they had two different characters and it like you had Walton Goggins or that kind of character or a character similar and Kevin Costner playing a different character and he decided to merge the two and it was just Walton Goggins. Which, yeah, there which, was a there was a first recast of somebody else and when they dropped yeah. out as well he didn't recast the second time. It, it just just sells me it's like fucking how many characters do you want in this thing? Fucking hell like um, just, I, I just, don't take the same view. I, going to be? Yeah, I, I don't, don't really take the same view on it, Chris. I just think all that shows us is that it's quite an organic process. Yeah. I think all that shows us is that, you know, the, these things don't spring fully formed. You know, you they are a process of of refining what it is you want. Um, you would hope that process would be a little bit more complete before you're casting, but it, he does change his mind on everything. We're going to get to the hate for late next week. He famously sort of changed his mind twice on doing that film. In between times, he did like a live script reading with completely different casting. One of the characters was of a completely different uh, ethnic uh, background than in the final film, and the ending was different. So these things do change. Um, but I, I, I'm not as familiar with earlier versions, perhaps, than, than maybe some of the films we've talked about in weeks gone by where I have been aware of 
I'd read the scripts and things changed, like Kill Bill too. You know, where where it, it, I'd read an ending and then the ending that they shot was different. Um, I'm not I'm not as knowledgeable on this film that way, but I do think um, I do think we were heading with hindsight when you watch all these films in a short period of time. We were heading to a western, weren't we? All yeah. westerns. And I've always pictured what a Tarantino western would look like, or would be like. You know, again, it's like Tarantino experimenting out of his own comfort zone into different, like completely different genres. Uh, but even though we look at, um, it's one he hasn't really done before, has he? I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, well, in many respects. You look at uh, Iglorious Bastards, and you think like, well, that film is a western for most parts in terms of how it's shot but westerns mm. are a lot of westerns particularly spaghetti westerns mm. are, are built around the whole concept of like the standoff and yeah kind of built to this big climax doesn't it inglorious bastards is one standoff after another mm. Mm. but you also um, got like this shot from inside like the the, the cabins particularly at the beginning and you see oh, that that just might i instantly think searches and things like that yeah. so exactly yeah being shot from inside yeah. definitely I, I did kind of get a yeah, definitely. In terms, of, I remember seeing Hateful Eight at the cinema. There was obviously now having seen the searches, um, there was a kind of vibe of that sort of classical, um, wide-ranging western as well. Um, I was reading, and I think he says instead of um, obviously in, in the western genre, since it's set in the deep south, this is actually like a southern, rather than a western. If you see what I mean. Yeah, I mean, he said that about Kill Bill too, as well. To be fair, but um, I think it is fair to say that that the Hateful Eight is a very different film. I mean, the, and I think it underlines that the Western is not a single genre. Uh, this is very uh, influenced by spaghetti Westerns and particularly aforementioned Django and the, the works of the director Sergio. What is the guy's name who directed Django? I've got to look it up now because I've just suddenly forgot. Uh, yeah, Django was directed by a guy called Sergio Corbucci. And I've not seen it. I don't know much about it. It's another film that is loosely based on Yojimbo. He's got an awful lot of writing credits, uh, including including not much, actually. I thought I saw the name of something and I misread it. I thought it said for a few dollars more, and it wasn't. It was for a few dollars less. So probably not the same film. But yeah, he's... Uh, I don't know what he's best known for, really. I, I'm, aware of the, I'm aware of the man who laughs. I'm aware of Django. It's, and again, then there's a lot of sort of other stuff I, I don't know much of. But when we get to the Hateful Eight next week, completely different type of Western entirely. Set in a subtly different era as well, because that's post-Civil War. This is 1858 to 59. This is pre-Civil War by a couple of years. Hence the, the very big slavery angle in the film. Tarantino, mm. I do know, did set out to make a film. He wanted to say something about slavery on film. We can talk about how well he did it, but that was very much an aim going into this. I always got the impression with... Um... With this film, it strikes me as Tarantino's kind of guy who just likes to sort of just take um, different elements and just throw it in a part and just see how how it turns out. Like you know, like like you said, he wants to do a film about slavery, but he said, "But once I've done a a, a film about slavery uh, and and do it as a western." So that that's, he wanted that's... to do. It, he said he wanted to do it from within, like a genre picture. Yeah as opposed yeah. to a prestige picture. Bear in mind, this was around the same time as 12 Years a Slave. You know, within a few months, it may even have been the same year. So, in fact, I think it was. I think, yeah, I yeah. think that, yeah. Uh, so it was the, and, of course, 
the nature of 12 Years a Slave in, in style attracted all the plaudits. In some respects, I found this just as unflinching a look at it. Sure, yeah, 12 Years a Slave, I remember seeing it at the cinema, that was, again, I had to look away at certain aspects of it. But again, you're, you're, you're doing it through the lens of, um, of, a, of a slave slave narrative, aren't you? So. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's much else to say about it at this stage before we get into sequentially, apart from opening thoughts. Do you want to start, Becca, seeing as you seem to find this quite a top watch? First thoughts on the Yeah, film. I mean, it's not to say, not to say that... I've got to think about this. I don't know if enjoy is the right word. Um, certainly from a technical aspect. Um, and the way Tarantino makes his films, where he writes to them, the way he shoots them. Um, and obviously there are a lot of visual... Um, what's the word? Like homages, I guess, to... Especially the Django series. Um, which, this is the first one that I've seen. Um, but I have gone up and I've gone through and read up about them. Um, I think is is very clever, um, but just I just I find it extremely difficult to watch just because of the nature of it. Also, DiCaprio is saying that he, he you know this is I think the first time probably since I think it was the Man in the Iron Mask I can't remember um, that he's played like a particularly like nefarious like out, outright villainous character which we'd now deem as a villainous character. Um, that he had to kind of like during one, one of his scenes, he had to kind of like halt um, because you know he's having trouble with the dialogue basically. Um, and I'm just a little bit like, oh, you know, I sort of have to mute it a little bit. It, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a head scratcher for me. Um, I kind of did enjoy it and I kind of didn't. Um, but I, I, you know, I enjoyed from a sort of technical aspect, I enjoyed, you know, how I put this film together. Um, performances are great. I, Jimmy Fox obviously received a bit of flack. For appearing quite flat um but yeah i think it is as you said dave um it is called a more quiet and understated um and for his character it's all about revenge and, and rescuing his wife um and ultimately killing who's responsible um Fouts is amazing uh DiCaprio is amazing i don't think he'll make a bad film a lot of love for leo definitely <laughs> sadly you can tell i'm a 90s kid oh dear Morton Goggins, amazing. Um, James Remar, I love him. He is like one of my favourite character actors. I just, I'm happily watching whatever he's in. And he plays two characters here, which is very exciting. And again, sort of people like Franco Nero, which is amazing. Um, without whom we wouldn't be here. Why is he his dad? No, but like, you know, <laughs> without this series, obviously without Django, perhaps Tarantino might not have made this film. You'd have called it something else. But yeah, no, I, I but guess. yeah, I, yeah, you know what I mean. Obviously, it would have cost you know a different actor that sort of thing. It would have been a different version of um, of these events, I guess, or a different version of this narrative. Um, but yeah, it's just in terms of obviously the language, um, and obviously this is Tarantino is known for his violence in, in his films. This is a bit too much for me. But then, as I say, you've got Tom Savini, who is like the godfather of gore, and about all these you know in camera and physical effects to do with violence, which I think is amazing. Um, so yeah, in terms of like script, I have some problems. But in terms of all the technical aspects, yeah, it was it was a joy, a joy to watch. But um, yeah, thematically and I don't know in terms of dialogue, I didn't get on well with it. <laughs> so very much a film of two halves for me. I yeah, I mean I I really enjoy. I mean I've always enjoyed watching Django and Chain. It's a very entertaining film. Uh, I, I like it as an idea. I think it's an interesting to concept to do. Uh, a western but 
done around the idea of slavery, which is, uh, it's like, oh shit, I've not seen that idea before, and um, of course, why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it not have be an issue around that? Um, so, all, all, all those ideas are really, really good. I, the only, the only real beef with it, I'll, I'll just get the, the, the main negatives out, just out of the way, because I'll probably do nothing but, like, say relatively nice things about it, is, I think it is too long. I think it's, I, I think it could have been tighter. I think it, you know, obviously I, I say that quite a lot, uh, but I, I think the film, you, you, you do by the end you get to the third act, you're thinking, come on, do, did this film really need to be this long? And the only real negative I will say for a film about slavery, I don't think it really hits the nail on the head as to, other than the stereotypical uh, slavery is bad, I guess, but it didn't, I don't think it had anything interesting to say on the subject. It, it just it just seemed like something that Tarantino wanted to to shoot around, like sort of say to put uh, an issue up on camera with, rather than actually say anything other than yeah, it was pretty bad at the times, which I think we all agree with. Yeah, but I don't think it has anything more to say other than that. But it's. It's really stylish. It's uh, the the dialogue is is great as ever. Christopher Forst is great in it, um, and yeah, I've really enjoyed my time with it. I probably have to agree with you there, just to say that I think that's probably why I find it so difficult. It's just because he literally just says slavery is bad and great, um, and doesn't do any more with it. But I say there are other slave narratives that, that you can read, um, and other films that you can watch, but you just perhaps might not find what you're looking for here. Any anyway, of sorry, Dave, what did you make of it? Um. Just on that point, I'm not sure I disagree, but I'm not sure I agree that any other film really has shown anything else. Twelve Years a Slave was isn't slavery tragic, you know, a guy but you know pulled out of a, a relatively well-to-do life for a black man anyway, and then tortured relentlessly through the film. I actually found the the it wasn't just the violence in it. I think it was also the fact that just I mean it, it had more impact big screen. But the first time Django throws off his like blanket and you see how scarred up his back is at the start of the film, um, and when they, when they take the shackles off their legs, and it's a freezing night and you can feel that it's in the way the scene is shot, and they take the shackles off their legs and their legs are raw from rubbing against them. I think there is a visceral impact to slavery on this film. It's not that it's saying anything about slavery; it's it's what it's showing of it. I, I will I will take back one thing I I, I, did, I did say about uh, it not being interested. I think the best character in the film is actually Samuel Jackson's character, and that was like, oh, yeah. okay, that's it's the it's the ingratiation, and it's it's the I was watching something about. Um, I was watching something on Netflix about Alex Ferguson. I think it was, it was about Alex Ferguson the other oh, day. Right. And they were talking about just because it was did there. He owned a slave, did he? Or he, <laughs> it, it, turned, it turned out Ryan Giggs never got paid a penny. And did all the washing up for him and stuff. They were talking about the relationship of uh, manager in this case to player, but it, it was applicable to business as well. Sure. And they were talking about whether you perform for these people because of fear or because of love. Mm. And they were saying about the relationship between that, that over time you come to respect them. So they see that's kind of a love or whether it is like, mm. you know, the hairdryer treatment and it's fear. And actually, you can see wrapped up in some of the house slaves. It's both. It's both that, they're, that you know, they've ingratiated themselves so fully 
Stephen is genuinely distraught with what happens to Calvin at the end of the film. Um, so I find all that interesting. The one bum note from what I can gather is some of the house slaves, some of the female house slaves were very um, well-dressed, very clean, actually living not altogether a terrible life in some respects. They're slaves, but it was a lot less harsh in depiction than maybe it was. But yeah, the, the average sort of field slave... Uh, and I think we actually see it quite graphically, the, the the way that, you know, their interaction with just their, their physical surroundings, just the fact that they're badly whipped, they're walking miles. I mean, mm. when, the, when King Schultz frees them at the end, he said the nearest town, and he said it's 37 miles back the way you came. Oof. Does that mean they've walked 37 it, miles that yeah. day? Um, so you know they are doing uh, you know Olympic distances in walking whilst being shackled. Their legs are rubbed to pieces from the the manacles. They're whipped to pieces. It's freezing cold anyway. Um, I actually think it really does depict slavery in a way that is visceral, and that's actually the whole point. It's not about making political statements per se. The visceral nature of it paints that. But anyway, in terms of um, what I thought of the film. I was thinking earlier, because I was thinking about how beautiful this film is, actually. Um, Robert Richardson uh, is the, the, the director of photography on this. Um, I'd love him to do, like, a Bond film or something. Because he's got always got plenty of colour and stuff like that. You know, none of this Skyfall washed-out digital bollocks. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it, no, it, no, it, it does look great, please. doesn't it? It does look really great. But I was just thinking, if you, if you were a Robert Richardson on this film, I, you know, Phil, you're there for every scene because you would be because you're the director of photography. You don't just sort of design the set and then don't don't turn up. Um, I think you'd go to the premiere and actually be surprised it wasn't as good as Inglorious Bastards because there's some great character work in the film. There's some incredible scenes, some great monologues. I was thinking about even the Mandingo scene, and we'll get to that when we get there. But that sort of little private bar come sort of lounge they're in it's beautiful and the colors in it are beautiful and deep like oranges and, and the, just the costumes i'm not a big costumes guy particularly but everyone looks fantastic in this film in yeah, terms they of do. The, they really the do. Character. and i just think like there's so much in this film for that from scene to scene you just go he's done this again how fantastic but then you would sit and watch the end result and it's about a quarter of an hour longer than the previous film. It really fucking feels it. it it's, it's got no discipline in the edit. This is the first film without Sally Menke. And may, maybe that's just a coincidence. But both of his last two films are quite baggy. And uh, in a way that Inglorious Bastards wasn't. It was a long film, but that's not the same thing. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it did what it needed to do. And... Um, so, yeah, I have some problems with this film. There is a bit of a charisma void at the centre of it. But, you know, at the same time, what do I want? I don't expect Django to be fucking wisecracking. You know, he's, he's a beaten down slave. So maybe it's maybe it's an entirely appropriate performance. But obviously with what's next to him, it kind of makes it feel a little bit unbalanced. I remember, um, oh, I listened to a, um, an interview Tarantino was, was saying, or a clip of an interview, um, no, actually, it wasn't. Sorry, it wasn't Tarantino. It was Jamie Fox, and he was uh, talking about doing Django Unchained, and mm. he he was he was saying how he like the you know, first day on set and that, and he sort of 
did his line, he did it kind of like how he thought he would do it, and Tarantino was just like, right, went cut, okay, uh, uh, can I just uh, speak for a second? And Jim was like, oh yeah, sure, walk in, and he sort of like goes to a little private room and goes, um, what the fuck was that? And it would, <laughs> and it'd be like, you know, look, what you don't understand, he's a slave, right? He's not acting all fucking cool, he's a fucking slave, yeah. you know? And it was like, oh, okay, so that's a little bit of like a little bit of... Yeah, and right near the edge of the film, when he has got his confidence, there's a right swagger. So yeah. maybe he's doing exactly what he was meant to do. And I'm not... And I can see why. I can totally make the case that it's an appropriate performance. But I just... And I've seen Jamie Foxx perfectly charismatic in plenty of stuff. But he's got an awful lot of screen time to be sort of disappearing inside the character. Mm. Um, so it does have a bit of an effect. King Schultz, obviously not, not remotely as interesting a character as Hans Lander, but equally well played. Um, and just from scene to scene, it's, it's really, really good. But uh, it, it's too long. I've got a few structural problems with it as we go through, but they're not major. The supporting roles, I just think are really brave. I just think, you know, I, I know it's just a film and, you know, <laughs> let's put it into perspective. No one, you know, died making it or anything. But, you know, Don Johnson to come out and deliver, you know, he was, you know. Yeah, he's white, really surprising. You know, white Matt and the Idol back in the 80s, you know, Miami Vice and things like that. And, uh, you know, he comes out and delivers quite unflinching dialogue, you know, it never bothers me the same He's way. He's very convincing in the role as well. I'm isn't not. He? I'm not as sensitive a soul, frankly. Uh, it didn't bother me in the same way, but it's hard hitting. You feel it. I mean, the dialogue and, and violence in it are, are palpable, but they're fucking well meant to be. Mm, and exactly. um, you know, but everything in this film, I can I can feel the heat and I can feel the cold, and I can sort of feel the pain. It's a very visceral experience. Uh, you know. Last last week's was in some respects as well. I do find them sort of sister films a, a little bit structurally, but this is by far the weaker brother. And if I was if I was ranking the films, this this won't come that far off the bottom. But having said that, it's probably a sign of how strong his filmography is as a whole <coughs> that you can stick Django and Chain sort of two or three off the bottom of you know nine films we're going to rank or whatever it is and and that still actually represents a, a really very good film i probably agree i was just thinking about ranking these and i was thinking well you know it's still still a decent film um but yeah i would probably place it like in the middle or near the bottom but that's not to say it's a bad film well it's better than uh, i prefer it to kill bill too um and it's better than death proof obviously um and that's that's I prefer last week's more. Uh, last week's well, last week's is is frankly the best film he's he's made. So yeah, that's debatable. That. Number one or number two? <laughs> it's debatable, but you know it's it's top four without any question in my mind. Oh, sure. uh, th this isn't this isn't. I mean, it's weaker than the two. See, next week's film is is a lot less showy because it's sat in one location. It's like a stage play. But I was engrossed in in the way things were unfolded to us. Let's see how I feel about it as we prepare for it next week. But I, I remember distinctly preferring the hateful eight to this, which I don't know if that's going to be a commonly popular view, to be honest with you. But I certainly did. I don't think it's as good as um, I don't think it's as good as Inglorious Bastards, and it's not as good as as frankly his sort of first four either. So. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I had a pretty good time with it. I sat down. I intended to just start watching it last night. I intended to just like let's knock a bit of this out tonight and remove the load from tomorrow. Um, and I watched all of it. 
you so bleed from start it, to beginning. It's, it's a very a, easy watch. You yeah. mean that, that's, that's probably... For two and three quarter hours, yes, it is. It sails by. Uh, but, and, and nearly all of its problems are in the third act. Yeah, I, 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 just, I think yeah, I think it sort of starts halfway through. I think the, its main problem with how long it is, it kind of like has a scene to explain everything rather than trying to be, uh, while we're trying to be, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, There's no economy to it. Yeah, it's like you know, to try and like use your screen time wisely. So why why say one thing with one scene when you can say two or three things in one scene? You know. Uh, Kind of thing. So, I think that's also yeah. Th- that's probably its main problem. Uh, it is that, so to speak. But you know, it, it does circle round on itself a little bit as well because I know that. I mean, we've got a scene of, of them sort of sat in like a little valley eating and talking about different things, and then a couple of scenes later, we've got almost an identical scene. They're talking about different things, but it's just like, hang on a minute, we're circle, we're going round in circles here a little bit. But yeah, I don't want to be too critical of it. I, I think it lacks the discipline of last week's. It lacks some of the charisma of last week. When I look, when I look cast member by cast member, um, I think there are more hard-hitting heavyweight actors in Inglorious Bastards than there are in this. But you know, we'll get to an incredible Leonardo DiCaprio scene later. Uh, we've got a great Christoph Volt scene here. Stanley Lowe Jackson's doing some of the best work of his career here. It's uh, it's an exaggerated He's probably camp. the best thing in the film. Uh, debatably, yeah. Um, video. <laughs> um, amazing. You know, you've, you've got Don Johnson do, do, just doing a turn no one would have expected. I so, completely forgot that he was in this film. I was like, uh, what? Well, yeah, it, it's not... It's a pretext for being on the lands where the, where they where they find the, the brittle brothers, isn't it? Yeah. So the whole reason to go, he 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 is basically a plot device. Yeah, but he's, he's a good plot device. Anyway, shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Yeah, Ooh. go on. Then. Let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's all just sing Django. <laughs> That, that or, the, or there's a Simpsons episode where it's like Skinner, and it's just like, oh god. <laughs> there's always a Simpsons episode. That's because they've done four million of them. I know, but that's that's a recent one as well. That's not an old one. Well, it from... would be if it was Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah no. I haven't seen the Simpsons since about. Well, I think the last new episode I watched was the one Ricky Gervais wrote in 2006. Oh, bloody hell! What, what when he was a dolphin? Uh, it was the one where it was like a wife swap. Wife swap. Yeah. Oh my god, so, that was just cringe. I just remember the song at the end was funny though. When so, Homer yeah, there was sing- quite a funny song. Yeah. When Homer sings about his TV. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a show that should have finished fucking decades ago. But yeah. Go. Anyway, moving on. I just thought I'd reference that because I have to do it. Uh, actually, I'm thinking of the Family Guy, which Gervais did when he played the dolphin. I think. I didn't know what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I thought you might have written yeah, another yeah. one because I've got no idea. I mean, The Simpsons might still be really, really good. I just hear it isn't that good. And when I used to watch new episodes like ten years ago, it's more not. often than not, they weren't. It's not. So it's, it's been, it's been run into the ground. But its first half a dozen seasons were amazing. Yeah, I would concur. But yeah, the, some of the new episodes, yeah. some are quite funny, but they don't quite. I mean, I, I still watch it. I still love it, but they're not. They haven't quite reached the, the glorious. They still got the. It's still got the, the characters. The, the mid nineties were its peak. Where is it? Where it was at is. Yeah, probably like seasons like one to well maybe two to about nine or ten perhaps. But then, I yeah, just one of those things really, isn't it? It'll it'll get less popular as time goes on. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the film. 
1858. Now, I don't think I'd, I think logically that makes sense, but I, I just, just a word on that. You forget how wide a period of time, like Westerns, loosely speaking, cover. It's like when you go and play the video game Red Dead Redemption. It's oh, set yeah. in 1914, and you think the world was at war then. Yeah. And had like planes and tanks and shit. This is 1858. <laughs> Obviously, the I think the hateful late might be. Well, we'll find out next week because I have forgotten, but it is like a couple of decades afterwards, I think. Um, so this is pre-Civil War. So obviously racial tensions and, you know, slavery and all the rest of it would be very much at the fore. First thing we see, it's not it's not time lapse per se, but during the course of the song, we go from like the heat of the day to the absolute freezing night. And of course the desert's a bit like that, isn't it? Mm. It's like red hot, unbearably hot during the day and dangerously cold at night. Um, a no, row of slaves. Well, it's about five of them, aren't there? Django's mm. like sort of second from the back. They're all shackled together and they're just having to walk all these miles. Um, the Speck Being brothers. Whipped. Yeah. The Speck brothers are, are driving them there. One of them are driving them. They're riding their, sort of carriages or horses. James Remar's one of them. I don't know if I recognise the other one. Oh, no, I'm looking it up now, James Russell. I'm not quite sure I know who that is anyway. But they, yeah, they, they, um, they, they, we see them at night and that's what I'm saying about the visceral because you, you feel the heat during the day and then at night it's like, Christ, that's cold. You can feel the bitterness of the cold, mm-hmm. can't you? And you can hear like as they walk, you can hear obviously the chains and sort of the crunch, crunch. Um, and the pace of it as well is obviously quite dejected and quite worn down. Yeah, they're struggling to stay on their feet. And I'm glad they, you know, some of the excesses I was expecting didn't happen. I mean, just towards the end of the song, one of them sort of stumbles and starts to fall with exhaustion. And really, if Tarantino was this sort of voyeuristic purveyor of violence, he'd have them beat the shit out of that guy there and then. But it was just a small detail. They're exhausted. Mm. And then we see a wobbly tooth. Yes, a wobbly <laughs> tooth wobbling out from the darkness. Yeah, is it kind of like, is it Doc Holliday? No. Is it Doc Holliday? No, it's probably not. It's sort of um, dentist and gunslinger, I guess. Well, yeah, he's still sort of driving around giving the impression he's a dentist. Mm. He is a trained dentist. Actually, he's a bounty hunter. But he's been a bounty hunter for about five years. But we find out in a while. But he's literally turned up. He's this German dentist turned bounty hunter. We don't know that at the moment. And he turns up to buy one of the slaves. He wants Django, that's all. By the way, I've just figured out uh, the, the other spec brother is um, is Billy, the guy who gets shot in Belial's cop. Is uh, Eddie Murphy's mate. Oh. Excuse me. Okay, I need to look that guy up. Uh, so yeah. I didn't know him. By, I didn't know him by name. Oh, I recognise him now. Aging quite well, actually. Yeah, he's, good. he's in his sixties now. Would have been late fifties when he made this. Yeah. Okay. That, I, uh, I just found that on myself. I was like, oh, right, shit. Yeah. Um, the big, mm, the big flaw of Beverly Hills Cop. The whole plot is to solve the murder of someone we couldn't give two shits about. <laughs> <laughs> it's the yeah. Mickey. Yes, but Mikey, he did. Mikey, Mike, yeah. Um. Mm. Yeah, so we we get introduced to um, Christoph Waltz. Uh, isn't isn't he playing like a like a relative of uh, Lander though, or is that like something I've heard? I don't know. Is the honest answer that that's quite entirely possible. 
Um, we do know a lot of we do know a lot of this is we do know a lot of his stuff is connected. I thought about it two or three t- times during the film. I on, I only know definitively of one link from this film to the wider film universe, and it isn't one of Tarantino's films. We'll get to that a bit later. I'm looking. I'm just looking at um, Django and Chains wiki just to see if I can find anything of it. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. So I, I don't know that that's any anything oh. really. Well, let's assume so, no. <laughs> yeah. Now we've got his name as King as a song, and I do wonder if that was just chosen to. That was why he was named that, just to match that song. Why not? Um, why not? So yeah, he's very. There's a little bit of Hans Lander about him, only in that it's all very. It's all very reasonable on the on the uh, surface, isn't it? Yeah. It's all very you know, and I love the fact that he's using like. They they he says a word and they don't understand it. And he said, I, "I'm sorry, it is a second language." And it's just, they can't keep up with him. They can't keep up with him. He'll say, "Can I parlay whatever it is?" And yeah, they just like, go. They just don't get in English, that. please. Yeah, they don't speak particularly well. No. Um, so I, often, I, I would I would be surprised to find if they were illiterate too, mm. just because that would be like the nature of them. Yeah, he wants Django because. Uh, he has knowledge of the Brittle Brothers, um, and he's got a warrant to get, to get these guys. Um, eventually, the James Remar character of the two First one. Pulls, pulls a gun on him. Pulls a gun on him. Mm. It's just like step away, disappear. They just they're very very suspicious. Turns out he's a very very good gunslinger and just <laughs> kills him shot. and kills the other one's horse who then falls over and crushes the guy's leg. So there's one of them left, and he's laying on the floor with a crushed leg. And what what I really love about his character is just... it. It's not just the fact that he's all pleasantries on the surface, but it's just everything is all done to a T. Like, he's all very much all about the business, always about being legally correct, making sure everything is, like, sort of... So, he, yeah. like, so for example, he could have easily just shot both of them and then just free Django himself. But no, he needs the bill of sale. So he's very much organising the bill of sale. So to, to he'll do it out. himself. So he's, so he's got all the yeah. So, so he's like doing it legally. He's giving them the money. It's like, like later, all, he, you all know, the he blows crystal. someone's brains out, and you're going, "Fuck me!" He's a complete outlaw, and he's doing whatever he wants. And then he'll pull out the paperwork that proves, like, yeah, that was totally what I was meant to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, comes off as a, yeah, it's a complete sort of. Yeah, idiot. It's like, well, actually, he's doing it all to the letter. So it's a it's exactly. a it's a reasonably languid scene. But I did think towards the end of this scene, I just thought, yeah, Tarantino at this point really is nailing his opening scenes. He does next week as well. Now it's never going to match last week's because that's just one of the great opening scenes. But I really like this. I don't know how long it goes on for. Seven or eight minutes, I would have thought. You know, including the song, the bit of the song, and all the rest of it. Um, he frees Django. And then basically tells he knows a bit of astronomy as well, because he tells mm. the slaves which one's the North Star. Says you've got two choices: you can either you know go with this guy or whatever, or you can head uh, to the nearest town, which is thirty-seven miles back in that direction, um, or or you can yeah yeah or we head north or whatever. Yeah, and he just basically says, and they go over and like yeah, he basically insinuates the fact that you're better off to kill them, mate. <laughs> You might as well just yeah. kill him. But he leaves <laughs> it to them. 
he leaves it to to them, which is you know I suppose correct. But uh, Jane goes then goes off with him on a horse wearing uh, the first guy's coat. I love how we, I love how he tries bargain with him though, like saying, "I come on, I gave you a, your apple. I gave you my apple." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bit of a lost argument if that's the best you can come up with <laughs> I wasn't expecting a Chris's, a Chris's Fruity Corner this week yeah. <laughs> we haven't had that for a long time have we oh. I've, yeah so that that's where we are at the start of the film We've, he's then take, takes off with Django heads towards it's somewhere in Texas mm. we're told at this point um, so they head to I sort of presume the nearest town they get there by morning and again mm. No one can believe this guy's riding as a free man on a horse. Mm. And they head into a bar. Um, now, I don't find racism funny, but some of the people's reactions are. I mean, they yeah. go in, they go into like the bar, and the barman is stood up on a table doing something in what must be whatever version of lights they've got back then. Yeah, he's obviously doing some DIY, isn't he? Yeah. And he, you know, he says, don't open for another hour. Then he turns around. I honestly thought he was going to fall off the table. He <laughs> I flinches. wouldn't have been surprised. He flinches quite dramatically. And he's like, whoa, what Ooh, the fuck are you what doing? The fuck's going on? I mean, I did, I did think Blazing Saddles like once or twice watching this film. It was. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid I was, did as well. It was, it was and a hearty welcome to our new. <laughs> yeah, it, it could have been very much like Blazing Django. There was just parts of like Don Johnson where I just got like. He was a, uh, yeah. A new... Yeah, you ex- you expect someone to walk in with telegram for Mongo. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and it, it's just so they sit down, they have a beer, and again that loving pouring of the beer. Mm. We get that. I, I noticed it, that in the cinema the first time, like it, real it, loving shot of that. It really makes you want a beer, doesn't it? It, it does actually. He's very good at sort of um, conveying the appeal of whatever it is. You know, it's mm. pretty. Yeah, if you said, if you well said beer, you'd probably, you know, you'd really want to drink it. I think, oh, that looks good. You have a great job in advertising that Tarantino. Yeah, and he used to go and get a job for um, is it um, what's that one? I say Stella Artois. Well, well you know, honest, you, got, you got to look at the nice countryside. Glorious bastards could have been a Stella Artois advert. Yeah, it could have done. <laughs> yeah, really violent one, but yeah, would have been, would have yeah, been really quite disappointing one. if that's all that had happened though. We'd gone to the cinema, and at the end of the scene, mm. he shows Shoshana, and then it freeze frames and set her on. <laughs> That's it. But, um, but yeah, he's very um, specific of asking for the sheriff and not the marshal. It's like, make sure he's like the guy's running the off. Sheriff, like... Not the marshal. <laughs> uh, it's because he needs to kill the sheriff. Yeah. Well, exactly. we, don't, we don't know that. Because, again, I, I, didn't, I didn't really know what the difference was. I don't know what the difference between a sheriff and a marshal is, to be honest. But you've got... kind of more like the law, isn't it, where the sheriff kind of oversees? I no idea. But anyway, I, they... yeah, I, I imagine I mean, they're yeah. both they're both law enforcement, aren't they? Mm. I imagine yeah, Marshall is probably a bit more federal. I, if there is such thing at the time, I don't know. Um, where a sheriff is like elected by the people, almost to, to... An, yeah, get in that way, definitely. But I just love the, 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 it's just a very well. It, it it's there's a lot of heavy lifting in what. King has to say here, and that he has to explain why he's doing what he's doing and what's happening, and move the plot on and ask for the right people. But it never really feels like exposition. It's always very, very well handled. He's talking about um, he calls for the sheriff, and whilst that's going on, uh, it's sheriff turns that he blows his brains out. But he he um, also explains to Django that he's freed him because he needs to find the Brittle Brothers. The Brittle Brothers uh, is a, a group that um, Django knew. And it's basically if you 
help me find them, I will free you. I don't like slavery, but I, I've got to use it to my advantage. But if you work with me, we get them. You can very easily snap them in free. half. Sorry, that fell flat. Tumbleweeds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, great. Run. I've just got... yeah. <laughs> I'll get my coat. Sorry, that joke was a bit wooden for me. <laughs> so they head off to Tennessee next, which is like a state over or whatever. Um, and they're heading to uh, Big Daddy. Yay. Not, not the 1970s and 80s <laughs> wrestler. wrestler. <laughs> Big Daddy. <laughs> it turned out to be the rival plantation with giant haystacks. Um, yeah, Big Daddy, Don, Don, Don Johnson channeling fucking Colonel Sanders. Yeah, it really is. But 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 with racism instead of chicken. Yeah. Deep fried racism. Mesmerizing performance though, you watch it and you just go, Where did Don Johnson go? Do you know what no, I mean? He's yeah. really good. It's, it's a terrible kind of role, but electrifying. He was a huge star at the end of the eighties. And then less so. He basically as... was Miami Vice, wasn't he, pretty much? I mean yeah, Miami Vice was a was a really big show. Sure. Think, I mean, I don't know how big Nash Bridges was. So I never saw it, but I'm, I'm oh yeah, thought about that. But, I, I I enjoyed Nash Bridges when it was on, but it was only on like late and ITV on Sunday on a school yeah. night. So uh, couldn't really watch it. No, fair enough. I'm just looking at his filmography here. Apparently, he was in the TV series of From Dust Till Dawn in some of the early episodes as Earl McGraw. Yeah. Oh. Which uh, obviously they would have recast Fantastic everybody. That's pretty, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember him in Tin Cup. But again, that's 20 odd years ago. I don't think I've seen that. Tin Cup's a golf film with Kevin Costner, but it's really good. Um, it's better than it sounds. I really liked it. Mm. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, yeah, the, the whole reason for being there, though, is they think the Brittle Brothers might be there. They don't know exactly where they are, but they might be around there somewhere. And it's the sort of. Uh, it's the whole thing of like. I suppose there is a bit of critique in this, the whole point of money talking. And that that's very much the way that country has developed in the years that have followed as well. Racism may be gone, but... Uh, sorry, no, racism's not gone, but slavery may be gone. But God. his whole attitude changes when there's some money in it. And, you know, no, this is Django. He's a free man, and he must be treated as such. Hmm. And that's quite funny as well. So treat him like a white man? Well, no, not that. <laughs> not, not that white man that you know, but... Well, I don't know what it you is know? you're asking for, then. Um, you know that special that, kid? What's that special kid? Yeah, what's that special boy that you know? Treat him like that. Yeah. But, of course, she takes him around the uh, plantation. She is quite clearly lacking... I, I don't know if she's... I don't know if you would describe her as slow or just uneducated. Yeah, uneducated. Yeah, it's very, very noticeable that Django, she's nowhere near as smart as Django is. Um, He's probably like the the smartest of them all, shall we say. But well, I, I think Broomhilda might be smarter. Well, apart from Broomhilda, obviously they are on equal standing well, there. She's more childlike, shall we say. Yeah. That's probably the best way to put it. There was a certain way she was talking that was coming off really painfully naive. Yeah. Yeah, oh, no, it's very much so Christ. treated that way. So. Any, any double, she could have been a Roger Moore Bond girl. Oh, she could have been. <laughs> she could have been in the CIA. Yeah. Any double. Could have been I, meant, I, meant, 
been through the prism anyone listening of Roger Moore's Bonker, and I'm not insulting the CIA. No. Uh, would be up, it would beat up with characters that are in the CIA who are like completely incompetent, thick as shit, and really <laughs> naive. And then he'd just fuck them repeatedly. To be fair, though, it's, it's probably like sort of, oh god, she's useless. I'll just send them on that mission with her, that Bond guy. She'll probably end up dead. Okay, right. Yeah. At least she's going to die relatively happy. <laughs> yes. T- maybe turning gold. It has happened. Um, <laughs> you never know. So while they're on the while they're there, um, he finds them, or she finds them yeah. for him. There's the three of them are on the site, yeah, they are. and they are basically whipping a slave, aren't they? Yeah, two they, of them. Yeah, got two yeah I looked away at this point. They're, they're about to. One's like they're jumping around like an idiot, and the other one's like he's got like I don't I don't know if it's like parts of the Bible or or some sort of text. He is, he is quote, he's quoting some sort of religious text. It is, yeah, it's a kind of a biblical text about, and about, just basically yeah. basically says that obviously men of colour um, were considered um, to be beasts rather than rather than men. Um, and he's also got them at, oh, I can't remember this now because I remember studying about this at uni, but he's got them at like strategic points around his body. Um, obviously one was obviously not his heart, but like near his heart. Um, oh, this is like, fa- my, my degree is failing me now because I can't remember the significance of it. Um, but where he has them attached his body does have cultural significance, but I can't remember what that significance is. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Okay. I find it. I find it quite unsettling, not just because of the violence, but as he was sort of getting ready to whip them, it put me in mind of when you see like rape in a film. Oh, grim. and, and no, someone is, is yeah, about to be raped, and they start unbuckling and things like that. One of the many times similar, I had to look away. Very similar feel to it. Yeah, I can understand that, Becca. I mean, I'm. I'm just not. I'm not cut that way. I don't tend to have to look away. No, but, um, but it was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty nasty. Um, no fucking around. We ought to comment on what Django is wearing because for the first time, probably in his life, he's allowed to dress himself. And he t- <laughs> I think it's quite funny when when the girl says, "You dress like that." He turned up looking a bit like. He was basically Austin like. Powers. He was. Well, it's basically well, like Louis XIV, wasn't he? He's well, basically. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. basically, if Austin Powers had been dressed in silk, yeah, <laughs> in suede. You know, or crushed velvet, it would have looked a bit like this. That was a little bit what I thought, unfortunately. It is kind of funny. It was funny. It was funny as a joke. I mean, all Tarantino films are funny. And this is no exception. I thought right in the middle of that, you've got him looking like that. Quite balletic the violence here, though, particularly when they take down the third brother and the splash over the sort mm. of cop. It's, it's all. It's um, all kind of like. Um, it's very um, gratifying. Isn't the right word. Um, it's done kind of like very slow in motion and it looks quite like voluptuous. Um, I think it's actually beautifully shot, but only really the third one. He's quite business like on the first two. But the third one, where they, they take their time and try and make sure they've got this guy lined up properly. Mm, um, the splash of blood off that is is a terrific shot. I mean, it might be gratuitous, but it's a terrific shot. Well, it's a bit more artistically done, isn't it? It's a lot more like. It is, definitely. Um, but what I really like. It caused censorship problems, I, I heard. Really? I haven't yeah, heard so, that, but uh, maybe like in, in Asia, I think true. they were like, "I'll tone it down a bit." But but no, it's interesting. I think because it's, I suppose it's it quite satisfying, you know, to pull off that kind of shot. I guess I don't know. But what, what, but, what I really like, yeah, gratuitous like, for sure. What I really like is they sort of spend a lot of the time go, um, sort of like, "Are you, are you sure? Um, yeah, 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 I'm sure." Are you, like sort of, there's a little bit of, um, "Are you sure? Or are you not?" Yeah, there's a little bit of like, "What quote would you mean?" Like sort of, "Is that him or are you, uh, yes?" What. You, you, you sure, are you, you positive? Sure? Yeah. 
he says, are you positive? And he said, no. And he said, you're not positive. He said, I don't know what positive means. <laughs> are, are you sure? Yes. Yeah, bang. <laughs> it's like waiting for the confirmation. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. I really like that. I thought he was good in that scene as well. I actually had a better time with Jamie Foxx today because I was just really paying more attention to him. First time, you would not seen a film. It comes on. You watch what's put in front of you. One guy is doing everything to, to draw your eye. The other guy is very, very quiet and subdued in a role that he's that the film's named after. Um, you actually you watch it a bit more, don't you? But... Yeah, no, watching it today, there's a bit more going on. But um... I, I never had a problem with it. I mean, I do get why people think that. I mean, it does make sense because with Christoph Waltz's, the more animated, a lot more, lot more warmer as well, a lot more warmer character. Um, it's kind of written with him in mind as well. Yeah, I there's I think I think the thing with Jamie Fox, I think maybe what was maybe lacking was just a little bit of a human sort of like drops of human or vulnerability sometimes but because of we only get it in the flashbacks yeah because yeah, of who it, he it is just kind of come out of the shell as the film in the goes flashbacks along, you see... we see him in like a well it's not a ball gag but he's got some mm. kind of like mask on um we see him trying to persuade them to let his wife go yeah. and all the rest of it there we see the desperation that drives him as we're going through the events that he's being driven through if you like we're not seeing it so we kind of see pockets of it, but it doesn't really kind of come full circle, as it were. But, yeah, it's very much understated. The only time I turned him he engaged, he, he, was, uh, he told him a story about a character called Broomhilda hmm. while they were sort of in one of these valleys that looks a bit like a set and probably was having... You know, <laughs> like their it's beans, the searchers. While they're having um, their beans or whatever. They, when they're eating... beans. Fire I just, I just, fire. Sorry, I just thought of the office then. I thought of beans and muff. <laughs> um... <laughs> But yeah, they, uh, they, the British version of the office for those wondering what the hell I'm talking about. He, he looks a bit childlike where he's talking about this story and he says Broomhilda and it's by a mountain and all that. And it is like a kid being read a story. Mm. Uh, and it's almost like when I was a kid, you used to be able to buy a lot of kids got them for their birthdays and stuff. You used to buy like me books and it was books that basically they'd substitute names of people from your family into and stuff. So I, standard, you those, can't you? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I've got, I haven't got any kids them. and I don't buy kids books. So I wouldn't know. But um, I, I know. You do that with pets as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah, same principle. They put family pets in and all the rest of it. Yeah, it's like, you know, a famous story, story and you can have like your child in a book or your child in a book. But the point is, this is a story that it, it's not only is it a story, he probably doesn't get told stories very often, but it's a story that has like someone named like his wife in it. And you just think, actually, this guy was probably like almost born or sold into slavery very young. Probably never been read a story in his life. And so things like that through the sort of general script writing sell it. I'm not quite mm. sure the performance does. But they've got... Um, so, yeah, they're all, all three of them are dead. And thankfully, uh, King's got the warrant. So exactly. when, Big, when Big Daddy comes over, like, wanting to finish them off, frankly, for that... Mm. They just say he just says, "Get off my land." Get off my land. Uh, he doesn't say it in a West Country accent. Yeah, they just basically pack up as soon as they can, get away, and the next thing we know, Django's basically being told, "I'll give you a third of everything if you want to work with me through the winter." Bounty like hunting. Three years later, but no, I quite like the some of the gothic elements of that scene as well. Obviously, you've got like the the mansion, the slave owner's mansion itself. Um, and also there's that scene where um, obviously he's in his blue boy suit 
um, obviously inspired by Murnau. Um, so there's a lot of kind of expressions going on there as well. Um, but also there's a scene like his, he appears um, like there's a reflection in the mirror. Um, we're kind of looking over to where um, the girl is sort of being whipped or prepared to be whipped. Um, and you can kind of see, you can just see his outfit. You can't really sort of make out, it's a very quick glance, so you can't really make out like, his head or his hands or anything. So he's kind of um, elevated up to like a mythical character. So that kind of adds more to his his mystique. Because you really kind of drip fed little bits about him at this stage. Other than that, you know, so he's he might look terrible, he might have cost him powers-ish. But he's in that blue suit for a reason, and there's a very they specific are, reason are, why he chooses they, that. They are starting, yeah. They're, they're starting to um, build his legend, if you like. Because yeah, by the end definitely. of the film, he's by the, the end of the film, he's a crack shot and everything. Exactly. You know? So it's, yeah, it's kind of like one of the beginnings, as it were. Well, well yeah, well, yeah. Because by the end of this film, he could definitely be a character that goes on to do, you know, to further yeah. adventures. You know, dressed like he is towards the end of the film and all the rest he, he of it. He becomes Django, doesn't he? he dressed, dressed a bit, dressed a bit like Jim West in Wild Wild West. Funny enough, <laughs> by the end of the film. Um, Not so. Starring, yeah, we, we actually, um... we, you know, we. It's <laughs> effectively. Um, it's so we, he has the winter. So where we basically see him being trained, and it is things like shooting snowmen and things like that, and he's, we can see his, his shooting is like developing, um, and we That's do accurate. see him. We do see him sort of killing people from hillsides and things like that that there are bounties on, and we also see him reading things too. And again, it's not like Rocky too. He's not reading them a book or something, but he but he will read the he will read the detail off the flyer. And so, like, Schultz is probably helping him a bit with his reading. He's becoming a much more complete person over that winter. Yeah, it's more learned figure. And a killer. King's education, too. Mm. It's like training montage. It yeah, is. it is that's, a little bit That's totally what montage. it is. It, it isn't just, you know, music, though. It's, it, you know, it is short scenes to sort of plug the gap. Mm. But it's really good. It's really good. I really, really do like it. And we don't take too long over it. At this stage, I didn't feel like we were wasting too much time with this stuff. Um, but we get to the following, you know, with the following year now. So we we're te- we must be in 1859. And they need, they're basically looking for Broomhilda. And that was part of the deal as well, that he will help, help him reunite with his wife. So they know they've got to go to Mississippi, but they don't know exactly which plantation it is straight away, do they? No, it's a bit detective work. No, but they, the Schultz does find out that she's... Well, he, he makes a really solid assumption that she's in Candyland. Yeah. Calvin Candy. This is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's role in this. Such an interesting but character. He fights his... He forces his slaves to fight each other. He buys a load of them and, and calls them Mandingo fights. That's not an historically accurate term at all. That comes direct from the 1970s film. I think it was 1975, Mandingo, which starred... about that. Well, that starred Ken Norton, who we talked about during the Rocky series because he, he was the he was a boxer and a very good boxer, beat mm. Muhammad Ali and so on. Had a wonderful fight with Larry Holmes, if you get a chance to see that. Ken Norton, Larry Holmes is a brilliant, brilliant fight. But he was first choice for Apollo Creed. Mm. That term Mandingo came from there. So, again, that's not that that's taken from cinema, not mm. from from from. No, it's a bit of a retcon. Mm. We see we see them go to this basically. I suppose it's a gentleman's club of the era, isn't it? Mm. Kinda. It's 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 kind of like a private house, but 
you know, it's they need to they need to start talking about buying fighters in order to get an invite to the house to get to the real point, which is to bargain for Broomhilda. At this stage, they've got no desire to like harm Calvin Cal- Candy at all. They they're just they're just looking to get in the door to do a deal for her. Um, to make them more believable, really, isn't it? So, uh, we do see we do see them sort of checking out a couple of fighters. Historical detail on this stuff is a po- kind of apocryphal. No one knows if this really happened or where how widespread it was. This kind of, you know, um, forcing slaves to fight things. It's quite brutal, isn't it? It's actually it's brutal. Really, he really does enjoy the gore of all this, Calvin Candy. Yeah, it's like well, it, obviously it's it's. Some people do because obviously it's like it's not like a, a popular thing, obviously, because it seems to be like very much like a private type sort of thing. But um, yeah, it's very fucking brutal. I mean, oddly, one another scene that I had to look away. <laughs> but one of the things that makes me the most like, ah, well, that why are you looking at the screen at any point? I, I was, yeah, for probably about eighty percent of this film. All right, fair enough. But there's one of the things that makes me go, oh, that would that looks kind of make kind of makes me wince it's the kind of like just a gash on his shoulder it's just it it doesn't look Ooh. that grotesque but it's just because it's just like a large removal of skin that looks very mm. very lumpy yeah, and like, looks Ooh. that looks sore that really... yeah uh yeah there's you know it, it's the fact that they're, they're, the the only limits to these fights are the limits imposed by um either your body or your owner the person well, a bit, a bit like sanctuary. where you sort of like, go on, finish him off and sort of blinds him and you can hear it crunchy just well, like, for uh, sake. I think the, well, the point is, you which either... Is, which, is, which is really good because it's a really good effect and you can, you know, the, the foliage and the sound effects are incredible. But you just think, oh, you really feel it. But you either fight to exhaustion, in which fight case you're, you're of no use to them any further. If Basically, if you can't fight anymore, you're no good to them anyway when you're finished. Or you effectively fight to the death or until... A Calvin Candy steps in and says that's enough, and nothing in his character implies that that's going to happen. No, it's quite a sumptuous bar uh, kind of lounge they're in, isn't it? Mm. Beautiful set. I've really, really loved. It would have been nice to kind of be a fly on the wall. I was discussing how to dress that set and like where they got all you know props and all the you know sort of period um, items and furniture from. Um, very sumptuous. Um, a lot of kind of really sort of, really sort of narratives, and they just sort of describe the inside as kind of. Especially obviously they come from wealth. That's kind of what you, and of course, you would expect. We've got a lot of sort of crash zooms and things like that. Cameras spin, you know, racing in and racing back out. And I was just thinking how much of the language of Western cinema and Eastern cinema is actually the same. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, westerns as a genre, not Western as in the West. But yeah, westerns. Yeah, you see those in a lot of you know. A lot of, of these shots um, were coming from spaghetti western type films. Yeah, and, and sort of Eastern like kung fu movies as well. Absolutely. Yeah, never they, they, they too mesh together really well, definitely. Yeah, when we were watching Kill Bill, you had like very Asian style cinema, and then we'd find the music cue, which suited it perfectly, was from sort of not some nineteen seventy fucking um, spaghetti western. And I think it carries on here. I think it carries on here that you just go, they are so much more similar in their language and sort of sound than you'd imagine. So we're at the. Uh, the, the I guess the, we're we're getting to Candyland now, then. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, but basically, sort of short. So like, uh, they 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 they've already hatched a plan to basically say, look, we can't just go and say, can we buy Hilda? Um, right. Or or Hilda because they're just going to say uh, no. 
So we're going to have to go in like sort of as if to say we're going to have give him like a really preposterous offer to to buy some like something illegitimate and then and then come in with hatch a plan because I'm German I can use the whole I'll you know the whole angle of she speaks German so would it be nice and have Hildy as a sweetener kind of thing to build trust which is a good plan it's a again, that it's is like, actually a really solid plan it's. It's uh, again because it's all like makes it all done legally. It means like they can't do it. Like I said, Django says, "Why can't I just? Why can't we just go and shoot him and take her?" Because, uh, because well, they'll you'll be an outlaw and then they'll end up ca- catching you and killing you and probably send her back to the original owners. And then, and then what? So, uh, yeah. So the, the hatchman. So basically, they, they've they've introduced off the so they want to buy. Uh, one of the fighters, ideally not your best, not your second best, but your third best. <laughs> if I if I were to offer you, what was it, twelve thousand or? I think Broomhilda's worth twelve thousand. I think that's where that figure comes from. We then go to this ride to Candyland, which is probably one of the toughest scenes of the film, mm. where they corner one of Calvin's fighters. He's tried to run away because yeah. he didn't want to fight anymore. And he just look a bit broken down. He's obviously had a few brutal fights and he's a little bit past it anyway. But he's only fought three times and he expects... I think he paid 500 for him. He and he's only fought three yeah. times. So he's, he wants at least five. Yeah. And Django and, and you know, they're, they, they're willing to, like, buy him out to start with. But I don't think... I don't know if it's because it's not going particularly well down well particularly with Calvin as an idea that they sort of back off on that well but yeah, actually he's... Schultz says I'll 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 buy him off you like as a kind of like as a mercy thing and I think Django sort of steps in and says no because you're just going to weaken our position you're just going to you know which is kind what? of what because basically you're just saying well you'll just buy anyone on a whim Kinda. I want to also maybe add a bit more suspicion to like if you if you if you if you stand up and say and it and it looks like you're being sympathetic. Yeah. You're giving mercy to a slave and then you're sat telling us you're a slaver and want to yeah. buy slaves from us. Yeah. I get it. Um. And but it's the same principle. I think they they back off because it's frankly not going to go down right with Calvin Candy at all. Oh yeah. No. Um, yeah. I get it. It's quite a brutal scene because Candy goes over and talks to him and you think. He's going to show a bit of mercy for a while, but no, they set a load of dogs on him. And he's kind of ripped apart. Quite inscrutable reactions of Django there. Just like, what's he really thinking? He's Mm. watching watching his kind, and I don't mean racially, I mean slaves. Mm. Um, Getting a treatment he was extremely lucky to uh, avoid. Yes, something they said, that could be me. That could have been me. And it's, it's like a... Again, it's Jamie Foxx having to do a completely plain face, completely just like stony inscrutable. Face. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I I can imagine that would be easier in his current scenario because he's now eyes on the prize. He's mm. he's now at the point where he, 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 you know, he's almost within touching distance of his mm. wife. He he's with the guy that owns his wife. Yeah. So. Um, and he's already acting like a. Like, if you're going to do it any time, that's when you do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like he's already sort of said, like, "Hey, I'm worse than any of the I'm worse than any of these these guys here." You know. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, uh, if, you, if you're ever going to sort of pull that off, just the inscrutable thing, that's when you're going to do it. Because it's just like, well, I can't blow it now, I'm too close. Mm. And then we get on to Candyland <laughs> itself. Um, great name for a place. But... Um, I love the fact that obviously he's always eating candy and obviously his teeth are rotten and he's just a generally rotten character. I just think that's fantastic. Is that I love the way he Yeah, I love the way he names his characters. Well, he is called Calvin Candy. Well, exactly. But, um, I don't know, it's, it's something been suggested by getting his land and calling it that, that perhaps... <laughs> his name is Candy, he's got some land. Mm. That's the logical approach. When they get there, when they get there we meet um, Stephen. Mm. Now, I always wondered what Stephen's last name was, and I realised he's a fucking slave. He wouldn't have one. <laughs> he's lucky to have a fucking name. You know, It'd be whatever era. his master's name is. Yeah, yeah effectively. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's true. Yeah. yeah, well, basically, Stephen's uh, Uncle Ben off the Uncle Ben Rice. Well, Broomhilda <laughs> was. When they talk about Broomhilda, she was owned by the Von Shafts, and that, that she is meant to be the granddad of Shaft. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, there's a link here between Shaft and Aussie. Although I don't know how that, great, I don't know how that works when she's Franco Freeman, as he would be after the events of, of the course. Course. But anyway, that's that's the idea there. But um, yeah, the main thing is um, almost you know I, you can't fail to recognise Samuel L. Jackson, but at the same time, almost unrecognisable. He's playing at least in the way his body's aged older than himself. Mm might actually be the same age given certain you know he would have been in his 60s at this point and this is the 1800s yeah. but he's quite a broken down old man and he is a severe ass kisser but he's also comfortable enough to sort of dig on his boss a little bit as well yeah it's a very interesting relationship because they both clearly love each other like obviously i think Stephen loves candy more than do very round because they they, they he's still a slave, but you can still see affection in with with the way they talk to each other. And this, yeah, I don't, I don't think he would ever hurt Stephen particularly. He's, he's kind of like it's kind of like this weird complex of like yes, like uh, uh, Stephen is Candy's no no sorry the way around uh, Candy is Stephen's master, but at the same time he's like a father figure to him. <laughs> yeah, you know, so they have that weird diameter, which is which is kind of interesting, and it's not it's unusual to see in. in is in what is essentially your chief and again the dynamic is is effectively he's chief of staff as well. Yeah, uh, he he is the house slave, so he's that Alfred. Was quite interesting. I was aware that there were house slaves and field slaves. I, I was and I'm aware vaguely of the differences. What I'm not sure about and don't know enough about, and this film clearly got to me because I really wanted to go and watch like a documentary on slavery right after. I don't know whether how well the house slaves were treated. I don't know, is the honest answer. Um, they're still slaves at the end of the day, so in some respects it doesn't fucking matter how well they were treated in some respects because it, it is wrong full stop. But whether... Whether somebody in Stephen's position was common, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think the idea is, um, not that I'm obviously coming up as an expert at these sort of things, I just haven't like, studied for my degree sort of things, like, I think they generally kind of were treated better, but so that's what I, an interesting one, what I like, but the interesting thing about 12 years save is that you've got different um, different categories, for example um, and it does kind of give you a bit of an insight um, but again, yeah, just the, the whole thing is, is generally wrong 
I ju- it's controversial for you. Um, controversial. Yeah. I I, um, I think though, having said that, Stephen is quite all right. He's a bit prickly now and again to him, but generally speaking, he's a bit of an ass kisser, and he's determined to sort of fucking tell tales to his boss all the fucking time, which makes me wonder how comfortable in his position he actually is. Because he's he's constantly working to sort of earn that position, even though he's quite comfortable. Did you pick up on that at all? The idea that, like, why are you trying so hard, Stephen? You're quite settled. Yeah, it's a bit I, weird, but oh well. I just think it's like he has a a love and sort of for his mm. for his master. I, I I I just feel like it's it's almost like he's in with him to to a certain certain degree. That I think he's he knows his is where his bread is buttered he's like well i'm sticking with this guy and there's like a mutual relationship between him and i don't he doesn't see himself as one of the slaves does he not in the same way no uh i mean he's he almost sees him as like obviously he's like their boss so there's that director so he, he he gets pushed around by a degree by uh candy maybe not so much so he kind of sees like he gets to push him around on his behalf so maybe yeah. there's like a, a, a he's feeding his own ego in that sense. I don't know, but it's a really interesting dynamic. It's a really interesting character, and it's probably my favourite aspect of of the film. Uh, it's one of my favourite things in the film. I mean, you, you'll always recognise that voice, but he's playing very against type. No, he's now, you, one of the best now, things about this film. And I'm, I'm going to do a hot take as well. I, I think it, it should have been Samuel Jackson for Best Supporting, and I think he should have won yeah. it for this. Because I think this is, this is some of his best work, as you say, Dave. And um, and, yeah. it was, and I think it's just, just the fact that Christoph Waltz had that long run it for a Tarantino film. Uh, I just, yeah. He's kind of I, man of the moment, wasn't he? Yeah, I just thought we could give it to Samuel Jackson. Come on, he's not one. He, he, yeah, that's famous... kind of what pissed me off about Eon casting him in that you know, just can, can Eon ever fucking let a bandwagon just roll past? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's like oh, Adele's big, let's have her. You know, it, oh, she did a great song as it turned out, but it's just this constant. I mean, even Casino Royale, which is a wonderful film, that parkour chase is great, but it's only in it because it was on all the BBC idents and it was a big thing. And I just think like they've got no fucking originality at all. And I think the very fact that he was cast as Blofeld tells you actually where his stock was around this time. Mm. It was purely that he was the go-to bad guy at this point. I must say, they kind of, you know, he's, I mean, not to say that he isn't worthy of it, he does a good performance. Like, totally worthy in, but of it. But I think that's probably the first time he did kind of sleep through the role. But no, I, I do think that um, Samuel Jackson not, was, was overlooked in that respect. I, th- I don't think it's whether he's worthy of it or not, because I just think he was electrifying in both films. And I I don't have a problem with getting an Academy Award for this film at all. Um, but it, it's like different type of actor entirely. But it's a bit like when Mark Strong was being picked as the villain for film after fucking film for a period of time. And as good as he was, it got damaged. It damages through repetition. If you keep putting poop, if you keep put making the the same person, the fucking same villain in every fucking film. Um, by the fourth, fifth time you see it, you're like, oh fucking again, and it completely undermines that actor. And I just think like you've got to be careful how you use Christoph Waltz. You've got to give him chance to do other things and different things. And he's not quite a bad guy in this film in the same way, but there are there are moral grey areas, 
and it is portrayed at least somewhat similarly in some respects to Hans Lander. You then put him in a Blofeld role as well, and you just think like it, it, it's it, it's not actually going to do his stock any good over time to just keep ver- doing variations on a theme. So I really hope he goes off and does very different stuff now. Like here, it's very much like his role is quite is more pure, isn't it? It's, mm. um, I'm just looking. He's going to be an Alita battle angel. He is. Yes, he's in. Yeah. Alita, that's going to be very interesting when that comes out, because that's been on the cards for a very that, long time. Yeah, that's um, a oh, James Cameron film directed by Robert it, James Cameron picked the property up, and there was a period of time where it was going to be that or Avatar, or that and Avatar. Yeah, that's why it hasn't been made, uh, because he's been sat like on it for a long time. Robert which is Rodriguez like, oh. is doing it now, which lends me to think it might not be that good. I don't it think Robert Rodriguez... Cameron, is... There's a whole lot of reasons why it won't be that good. Doesn't Cameron have a hand in it, though? I, th- I think he, I think I think so. Yeah, yeah, he's I attached so. to it. But there are so he will have a very similar hand in it than he does as he does in the next Terminator film. I would think. I think he'll be hands on. I don't think James Cameron can do anything like completely hands off. Hmm. So I don't think it's like oh, just give him a choose the thread. Well, I don't know. Well, that's that's his reputation. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> very busy man. Uh, yeah. I think we were talking about different pies, to be honest. Um, uh, film pies, you know. Film pies? <laughs> All right. That sounds like a new podcast we should watch. Uh... Phil, we could, that could be like us reviewing porn, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Especially so with, get... your, um, with your sock connection in Three Wise Men with American Pie. Have you heard it yet? No, I need to listen to it. You've got no context there. That might have been complete. It might have been completely clean. Well, I, I'm sure it was, but that just what it made me think of. Yeah. Obviously, growing up in the nineties and watching that film, that's what it made me think of. Yeah. Um, that's my frame of reference. No, I, I come. I, I, uh, I, I appear completely clueless during that episode. Believe me. Um, anyway, so on. yes. So we we go to the dinner scene now. No, we don't. We get um, Django meets uh, Hildy. Oh, we've forgotten about... Yes, when he gets there, Broomhilda's in the hot box, Mm. which is just basically a big sort of tin box in the ground that you just go in there to, like, basically Mm. burn, sweat, whatever. And it's for... She ran away. Oh, yeah, she tried to run away and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, she really is... I mean, even visibly, as soon as you see Kerry Washington, Mm. think of the slaves we've seen in this film so far. You know, at Don Johnson's ranch and all the rest of it. She just has a complete sort of self-possession and a star quality in the actress as well that you just almost can't conceive of her as a slave. It, it immediately almost makes it feel almost more of an injustice, yeah. which is nonsense, I know, but you just take one look at her and go, how is she a slave? Well, that was just, you know, the way it was. Um, and we do get some flashbacks to, like, they both got, like, an R burnt on their cheeks, which is from their previous owners. So they've had it pretty tough, haven't they, to say the least? Yeah. Yeah, spending it mildly. Seven. <laughs> uh, yes, Mister Bond. Um, so yeah, so um, yeah, so yeah, Hildy is all, all just done up because uh, at uh, Schultz's request, it's like he wants her to um, to bring her into room to speak German to him in his native tongue. Um, I shall take you in my native tongue. <laughs> 
Yeah, so yeah, so this point they're like they have a conversation, they talk in German just in case they're listening. And um yeah, they give signal to Django and uh, he opens the door. This is like the first time you, they see each other in god knows how long. Yeah, we never I don't think we're we're, we're never quite told, are we? I mean, mm. um it's been at least a year because more or less, a, well, the best part of a year has passed during the film. But they've been separated for a while, I think. And uh, he says, like, hello, troublemaker. And she faints. <laughs> and, I, and I love the line where he just says, you silver tongue devil. <laughs> <laughs> delivered incredibly. Yeah. I don't think there's an actor that could have delivered that line. That line was written for Crystal Fox. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I can't imagine. I can't hear that from anyone else. Yeah. Not not the same way. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Devil, you. Devil you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we go from there? The film has to be totally engaged, but hmm. we get to like the. Di- I forget the scenes between them getting to the ranch and the dinner, and then when we get to the dinner, I'm just aware of Leo talking for a long time. It being utterly electrifying. But sort of forgetting the thread of events. Yeah. Well, Tell me a bit about this scene. Uh, well, basically they're at dinner and they're, they're talking about. Essentially, they're talking about the deal. So they're talking about like uh, what's uh, the slate or the fighters they want. So they sort of obviously to eat, you know, and, and Swartz is talking about uh, wanting to make him stronger. Talking about sort of charisma being at the selling point. So it's, it's basically the whole film, the whole scene is picking up on talking about a deal. While, while Business transactions. While at the same time you have Hildy serving and there's, 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 yeah, there's looks looks Street and there's like Stevens like mm, okay, um, and I think uh, Candy's sister makes a makes a remark about oh I think she's got eyes for Django. <laughs> um, which kind of which really sets Steve and kind of like suspicions racing so he confront yeah. Yeah, is that when he takes sort of Calvin and tells him? Uh no, he confronts Hildy first, he says, You know that nigger and and is that there's a whole like uh your uh do I scare you scene where he's like you know for an old guy, or someone who's dressed as an old guy, Samuel Jackson is pretty fucking intimidating, even though he is actually... He is quite scary. terrifying. I think it's also, it's the weight that he carries of mm. the power of the house. Mm. He can do what he likes to these... I mean, even when he does tell Calvin, yes, we know he's in a certain position of almost authority, and within the prism of still being a slave... He's got a certain privileged position compared to the other people yeah. in that house. But I still found it somewhat surprising on this viewing as well, because I'd forgotten. When he goes to tell Calvin, he sat really, really comfortably in one of those chairs. And I think he's poured himself a drink even. Mm. And it is like, make yourself at home. Um, so it, he is quite aware that by and large, he can do whatever he wants. He's still got a job to do. He's still got to run the house, but um, I say a job to do. He's not being paid for it, but he's still, he still he has a role. But with, as long as he 
as long as he completes that role, he's, he can do pretty much what he wants mm. relative to any other slave you would find there anyway. So, yeah, when he tells Calvin, it, it's very much... You would not, if you watched that scene in isolation, you wouldn't think that was a slave. No, you wouldn't. At all. No. Which is kind of like, you know, I think it's just shows you what, what their relationship as well, isn't it? It's, that it's like there's a... There's there's an element of trust between them and there's like kind of like an old like a camaraderie between the two. You know, they're like they're they're, they're beyond just like master and servant. They're like friends. Yeah. So Calvin is told is that the point where he walks out with the skull? Yeah. Once Calvin knows, he's like you know, and 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 Stephen's actually figured out the whole plot. It's like no, they're after Hildy. They're doing this. To, you know, they ain't, they ain't here to to buy it. They had to buy any any fighter. They came and just buy. Well, I mean, Steve, Stephen is effectively running a plantation. He's mm. nobody's fucking fool, is he? No. So, um, I mean, that that's a that's an intelligent guy. Yeah, he's so, a yeah. So, yeah, he comes out, and all I remember about this, I, I very rarely remember much of what Leonardo DiCaprio says here, except I couldn't take my fucking eyes off him. During He's it, magnetic, just, isn't he? Yeah. Well, essentially, he comes out uh, with a case and he takes a skull and he sort of starts telling the story about old Ben, I think it is. Um, and it's like the, the the old Ben's looked after like my family for gen- for generations. He looked after my daddy. Looked after my grandpa, granddad. He looked after me when I was like little. Uh, and he kind of basically starts cracking open the skull right in front front there, and he starts looking at. One like the like the question about one question I, I I don't understand is why don't why don't the slaves just kill us? And he sort of points out like these random free dimples on the uh, on the skull, and ba- basically saying if we had like ha- like that's that's kind of like what they were there to do. That's like that's their initials to serve. Whereas you look go to some geniuses, their dimples will be somewhere else. That that oh, chronology. Kind of, yeah, basically yeah. going along but, the lines. But a like... real, real pseudo science. That... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's basically it, kind of like it's, it's, no, it's like no real psychology, but it's more... now. Yeah, you've had decades after you, you had people saying Black Freud people. and actually know well, no, technology is a later. It's no, it's nothing to do with that. It's to do with it's it's analogous to you come on a few decades, and you would still find people claiming black people were less evolved than white people. Mm. It's the same basic principle. He's he's looking at anatomy and basically yeah. saying. Actually, yeah, it's, it's actually effectively, it wouldn't be the language of the day, but in our language, he's basically saying genetically they're slaves. Yeah, mm. and and what 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 struck me is like how many schools have you looked at? Like, like oh. how, 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 how how many black schools have you looked at? How many white schools have you done comparison? Because they might have the exact same three fucking things in the white schools. So how I, do you know? I, I, I'm not convinced this guy's a doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so. But anyway, that, that that's this bill. He goes to this uh, big tour, and then then he just erupts in a in a um, in a in a rage, really. But basically, they all come in with the with guns and they and names at uh, Django and uh, Swartz. Swartz? Swartz. Swartz. Christoph that's, that's, Swartz. That's Christoph Waltz and Doctor King Schultz all in one word. I think. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, he, he kind of becomes like you know embodied. Chris obviously characters. looked at his watch and thought. This uh, show's overrunning a bit. What I'll do is say the next seven words in one. <laughs> <laughs> Save myself three or four seconds there. Well done. Okay. <laughs> um, and then basically sort of a, 
does the whole shouty accusing them of uh, doing it, and that's when he cuts his actually cuts his hand for real. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do make a deal for Boomhilda, though, don't they? Yeah. Well, essentially, what w- what it is is like, okay, let's cut the shit. You came here to. Uh, you told me you came here to buy, uh, buy buy Brightest. a slave for for, for twelve hundred when you kind of wanted like they, they made they previously already made like um. They, they mentioned something like, "Well, Hill is only worth three or something like that. Mm. Uh, and he's like, no, we're just going to... No, if you want Hill, you have to pay full whack the 12. Yeah. And that's it. So it's like kind of like... Which is really. outrageous for a, a slave in that era. Mm. That is like... <clears throat> he's buying these fighters for like 500. Mm. So 12,000, you know. Yeah. that that's uh, That is... Well, just imagine it. Just, just, just take, you know, eighteen fifty-eight in inflation. I'm actually, I'm just going to look. Up. I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested now. I'm going to look up historic inflation. This might be British, but it will be. It will give some idea. See how far it goes back. Right. I can't go. I can't go. I can't go back any further than uh, nineteen oh one, unfortunately. But even if it was nineteen oh one, twelve thousand. 40 years after this would be a million and a half today nearly. So yeah, they're asking for a lot of money for her. So, yeah, and I also forgot to talk about the, um, they also show Hot Shot Hildy's scars as well. Uh, yeah, that we do see uh, there's some sort of... That, that's, uh, that's before, like... Um, no, there was knows. some sort of uh, effectively brief well, you know, great, thankfully not shot in any sort of salacious way mm. at all. We do. She's pulled out the hot box naked. And she's she's scarred up very similarly to Django, and uh, I think it's matched by uh, Stephen like like conning on lo- looking at Django like with this kind of like knowing, really malicious smile like, really sort of creepy and sinister yeah. kind of get always getting off on like, going ha I was right and yeah he loves knowing yeah, but then he's you know he's in a, he's in a, we've said he's in a privileged position mm. and, and knowledge is a privileged position as well he gets off on that sort of thing yeah basically they've got him over the bowel and it's like and uh and schwartz is um schwartz is is, is is basically the first time we've actually seen proper panic is like oh shit okay may, may, may i just get get my wallet and stuff you know um so, and yeah, so basically they're left with like no choice because it's a fair cop, you know. They, 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 if they don't, they're probably going to die anyway. So they have to pay up. Yeah. And then where do we? Well, we're getting towards the end of the scene now. Yeah. But effectively, um, it just at, at one point, uh, Schultz snaps and basically shoots. Calvin. Yeah, there's because um... that's because uh, Calvin's threatening to have Broomhilda killed, basically. Hmm. Even though they've done the deal, she, they're about to leave. It's just that streak of of real cruelty in in this guy that just that none of that's necessary. He doesn't need to threaten or hurt anyone at this stage. The deal signed. He's going to get quite a lot of money for her, um, and they could just leave. But again, he's got to he's got to sort of kick off a little bit more. And suddenly, you know, there's talk of Broomhilda being killed. Mm. There's, um, yeah, there's obviously there's. He makes the point about um, he talks about that slave got eat, got eaten by dogs. 
yeah. like how he's how he's called uh, D'Artagnan, which was like he makes a point that well, uh, Damas was black, which kind of, which kind of makes which kind of like sticks it to what he was saying about black only black people could do this, whereas all the great thinkers and, and creative people is like well, one the one of the people who you, you the character whose characters you based on is black, so <laughs> have that in your point, you know. <laughs> and yeah, he he basically sort of like he he, he you know Schwartz. Can keep keep saying it now? Uh, His name is Schwartz now. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, uh, he's he's completely deflated, and he sort of like says, you know, I'll, 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 "Normally in this case, I say I'll be the same, but since I don't want to see you again, I'll just say goodbye." And then that that kind of seems to like inspire Candy to go like, "No, I'm going to rub this in a little bit." I want you to shake my hand, and then and Swartz is like, "No, why should I?" <laughs> and then basically, and it escalates from there to the point where it's like, "Well, if you don't, this is all fucking male egos, you know." Yeah. On the one hand, don't demand a handshake, and on the other hand, to get yourself out there safely, just fucking shake his hand. Yeah, but no, to, you know, typical of a certain strain in the male makeup that we're like, "No, fuck off." Uh, and, and, yeah, and, and again, it gets like you know, they say I insist. It's like, well, if you insist, it's again said the only way that Crystal Fox can say, <laughs> well, if you insist, uh, and then he just, just shoots instead of shaking his hand, he just shoots him in the chest and goes like, sorry, couldn't resist. Which is which seems to be like completely left field as well. You wouldn't think he would do that. That character. I didn't expect that, but I wouldn't have expected him to turn down the handshake yeah. all the way through. The character has been... And we're getting to a problematic part of the film, to be honest with you, because they've got to sort of kill off Candy, I think. And I, it's almost like I don't think they were quite sure how to do it. And you don't want to put that blood on a slave's hand, so possibly not Django at this stage. Um, and also, we need him sort of to break out in a, to avenge... King Schultz at some point. I, I this is this is problematic. This is problematic because when I saw it the first time, I was like, "Well, that came out of nowhere." And actually, I don't believe. I sort of believe Candy would have behaved that way. I don't believe Schultz would have. Hmm. But it's my it only, is what it's. My only explanation is because Schultz is on point for a lot of the film. When it's when that breaks down, maybe that just broke down his everything else, like everything else, like that he normally would would be. It's because he's clearly deflated. He's clearly just like sulking the entire time, not in a kind of childish way, but just in a. Yeah, he's 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 almost like mourning the fact that he's lost. It's like it didn't go the way he it didn't go the way. Um, the plan There's a went. bit of composure gone and a little bit of oh fuck yeah. it. Yeah. Um, no, no. I, I, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's not. It, the film's got problems from mm. now on. That we, you know, the, the, the last sort of hurrah for it was that incredible sort of monologue by Leo, and um, after that, I just struggled because I almost feel like this is where we needed him to leave with. However, they needed to do it. He needed to leave here at this stage in the film with Broomhilda effectively is a, as he is at the end of the film. Mm. Not the bollocks that comes between now and then. We waste we waste 20 minutes now getting back to where we should have been here. 
Yeah, you think this this would be the climax of the film where they're just going to shoot shoot their way out out of Candyland, basically. Even if even if even if he dies, or there's an element of King dies, and there's an element of like him having to hold up for a bit or whatever, mm. taking him out of that environment, threatening something else, just to have him come back and do what he was already there, you know, ready to do anyway, because he would have avenged Schultz, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I just I don't like this. I, I don't like this from now on. The only ter- the only thing I can see, I mean, the only point was with with Schultz, with King Schultz, um being gone. It's it's almost like at some point, you know, the the, men, the mentor uh, needs to be stripped away from from the from the student. You know, yeah. like the you know he need, like Django needs to sort of start doing it for himself and in a way he's kind of back to where he was in change so i think that's where the title really comes from he kind of learns to unshackle himself and then yeah. and then really truly become the guy he was supposed to be which is you know which, which is when he's like he's got the, the swagger on and 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 what have you you know we can so i think that's where tarantino was going had it been a shorter maybe maybe a little bit more, you know... Tighter. It's not well done, though, is it? Yeah. From now on here, it's not very well done. If you can make a case, and, and Tarantino knows what he's doing, so he could make a case to me in five minutes flat that, no, you need to get him away for this reason, and he needs to mm. experience this, and he needs to come back in some, you know, different threads as well, wearing different stuff, and he needs to come back to rescue her rather than being on site where they've done a deal for her. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's all manner of arguments, but I couldn't believe what I was watching because this felt climactic. This had a final battle feel to it. And next thing we're, we we know in a minute, he's going to be hanging upstairs, uh, hanging upside down with his fucking knob hanging down, you know, in some barn somewhere. And it's just... I think had, had, had this, say, been uh, an hour into the film and we knew it had, like, another... Oh no, maybe not. Maybe maybe not because that's not will be. But maybe if this happened like ninety minutes into the film, I'm like, shit, we got like another thirty minutes left. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't. I mean, this yeah. film's two or three quarter hours. Or or, or, wait, or or maybe or maybe forty minutes left. Maybe. Well, we've got roughly tw- we've got roughly twenty minutes of padding left to go. Mm. Uh, pre-credits. So with credits, had it ended here, presumably you'd be looking at a two-hour, twenty-five to two-hour, two and a half-hour film, which is pretty standard Quentin Tarantino length when you look through his career. Anyway, mm. the last twenty minutes, I, I, it, it, I don't know that I can think of a film where my opinion of it changed so fast. Because up to this, up to this point, I was really enjoying it and thinking. I don't think it's quite as good as the last one, but I really like this. I, yeah. And like literally twenty minutes later, I walked out of the cinema going, I was quite disappointed by that. Yeah, I think, I think it's largely because it's taken so long to get to that bit, get to this bit, and and the last bit is very very short and feels very much very fast paced, and you don't really get to sort of pick up on the nuances of uh, Django. No. Essentially, breaking free, you know, basically start to do things for himself away from the, away from his his teacher. Uh, what did you think, Becca? Did you think this was like pretty much the end of the film in terms of like structurally it should have been? And you were like, where where are we going after this? Um, yeah, this film has many endings. <clears throat> it's one of those films that does have 
that ends several times before it comes to the actual end of the film. Did it bother um, you? A little bit, but yeah, I just, I just kind of let it sweep, sweep over me at this stage. Um, yeah, but for me, this is kind of where it should have ended, but obviously it doesn't. But no, nah, it is Tarantino, so you've got to go with the flow, haven't you? Okay. Sounds like it bothered you less than me. Um, I think what makes it worse is we get a truly awful Tarantino ca- ca- uh, cameo in a minute. I, you know, I cringe. Think, right, but cringe. He, he's, he's actually in it before. He's with the Jonah Hill scene. With the. Uh, I think we hear his voice yeah. then. We haven't talked about that. After um, after they take... Yeah, we haven't really mentioned Jonah Hill much, have we? Well, well, no, was, was he... it, it's not much to say about him, actually, because he's been... No, I think he was to have more of a built-up role, but no, then but it kind after, of ended up on the cutting room floor. After the um, scene... After Don Johnson says, get off my land... He then basically sends some who, you know, some of the clan after those two, and they sort of try to hijack them at night. But it's a bunch of like comedy clan members in that they're all really fucking clueless, <laughs> and one of them is really annoying because his wife's done all the sort of hoods, and they're all moaning people. about like not being able to and see. All, they're all moaning because they can't see properly. So that's the last time I get my wife to do all this and. That's quite funny because it's actually obviously been taking the piss out of it, really, isn't it? Which I think is quite clever. Scene-wise, I mean, it's it's you've talked about blazing saddles, (laughs) but it reminded me. I mean, it's very it's a much blacker humour because they're clansmen and we're there laughing at them like yeah, it's kind of like pre-town, unfortunately, isn't it? But it's very much like that. But it isn't unlike when they turn up in at the end of Blazing Saddles, where they turn up to like fucking you know, rape and pillage Rock Ridge. And to slow them down, they've put, like, a toll booth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is very right. much. When they're all saying, have you got any quarters, and things like that, that's very like the clan talking to each other. I was say, it'll be nice to see. Now, you uh... do get Tarantino's voice there. You do. Yeah. But later, in the, later, towards the end of the film, Django is obviously, basically, he gives up because they've got They've got Broomhilda, so he gives up after King Schultz has been, you know, shot and everything else. And they're basically going to sort of sell him. So the next thing you see, he's 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 sort of in a cage en route to be, you know, mm. sent into hard labour somewhere. And he has to prove to these escorts that he's he, well, he, he's got flyers on him, so he's, he's going to prove he's a bounty hunter and all the rest of it. One of those. Uh, taking him there is Quentin Tarantino doing the worst Australian accent I've ever heard. Oh my god. Why? Accent. Why the Australian? Jesus. I don't know. I Just mean, like, one, one you, was you Michael Parks. Act. One was Michael Parks, so he wasn't even like, playing Aussie. So. It's just. don't. I, what I don't get about Quentin Tarantino is the lack of self awareness because I've, I've read things that Tarantino's written and I've heard him talk critically about films now he has some odd tastes sometime i remember him putting his films of the year list out about 15 16 years ago and he named one of the worst films woody allen ever produced it really was like of all the years to put a woody allen film on there you've put a really shit one on so i mean we're not always going to agree but like he casts well he gets good performances out of people by and large which tells me that like i think he knows what decent acting looks like and yet he keeps casting himself, and he's fucking terrible. And not only is he really bad, I mean, he nearly derailed Pulp Fiction. I mean, thankfully, you had so much of the wolf, and the scene was moving quite quickly, so it recovered. 
Um, but the first time where he was stood there, you know, talking to them, he was really bad. Here, not only are you bad, but you've just gone and drawn a load more attention to it by putting on a really fucking cod accent. I, I don't get this. And it, it, the problem is, I don't want this scene anyway. It's a scene too long in the film. So not only is it like, well, another scene, oh, for fuck's sake, not only am I struggling, but I then seen Tarantino, which is normally a red flag anyway, and then he opens his mouth and that comes out of it. Um, I really hate this scene. I really hate this scene because all it is is just busy work while he gets himself back to the ranch anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think more stuff could have been done to make it well more worthwhile. However... You know, it it is odd that Tarantino would give himself this this scene, even though he's actually got quite a decent cameo in it. I mean, I I mean, the director's cameo we had with with the guys of the clan towards the beginning, that that seems to be like a lot more like a director cameo. That's a, that's a, that's that's your ideal director cameo scene it right is. there. It's like, yeah, you can't see him, but you can hear my voice, but I'm here. But if you're going to be here, and you shouldn't be, because, frankly, I, I do want... I mean, I don't know. I, I, all I can go by are the films themselves. Yeah. And last week, we had a film structurally quite similar to this that felt tight, even at its length. Some of the scenes had a little bit of, like, not padding in them, but they'd let them breathe a bit. That's fine. But the film itself, every scene sort of pretty much served a purpose. Uh, so this scene is superfluous anyway, and I do think that could well be there's no Sally Mankey here, which is a problem, and it becomes it's a bit of a problem next week as well, in a different way. Um, it, it's not as big a problem next week, even though the film's longer, but I just think there was a discipline lost in this film. This film shouldn't be here, but to give yourself that extra level of not only difficulty, because you've got to do an accent when you're not a particularly good actor anyway, but it's just going to draw a load of attention. It's just suddenly like, whoa, what did I just hear there? Oh, Australian. It's just drawing attention to a scene that shouldn't be there and an actor that shouldn't be putting himself in his films like this. He really shouldn't. I've only ever seen him. I mean, I really liked him. He was good from Dust Till Dawn. So he's obviously got some ability. But most of the time, he seems to put all his intonation in the wrong place. He's quite softly spoken and flat anyway. Sometimes it's all right when it's a comedy little cameo, but... Like I say, I, I always remember him as Jimmy in Pulp Fiction, and it was—it's just an enormous bum note in that film. I don't like this. Should, yeah, it should have been um, Steve Belushi, shouldn't it? Uh, Steve Buscemi, sorry, not Belushi. Yeah, what the fuck I mean, here that scene needed to be there. That yeah. scene needs to be there. This scene doesn't need to be here at all. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, and I'm and sorry. even if even if he absolutely has to leave the house somehow, just. Quentin, you're smarter than this. You're smarter than me. I've never written a damn thing. Mm. Think there must be another way to do it than having this fucking stupid scene in here. Yeah, well, essentially he's back in change and he, you know, he kind of persuades, he talks his way out of it. Yeah, he does. Um, which, is, uh, which is kind of like he sort of frees himself and I think it's where the thing comes from, like Django and Jane's like, um... Yeah. It's Django empowered, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And... Yeah, but basically, as soon as, he, as soon as he gets a gun, he just shoots him, shoots all three of them, and frees the slaves. And then next thing we we're at Candy's funeral, and they're all slowly walking 
back, and we see uh, flashbacks to him shoot, um, shooting various people on the way to Candyland. The uh, particularly, we didn't really talk about the. Is it the the hunters? Uh, one of them, which is um, Zoe Bell, which gets. Yeah, she's in that again. Yeah, but... Well, you've, you've done so well for two and a half hours, and then in the last quarter of an hour of the film, you have to put two fucking very distinctly non-acting people in this. Just fucking... She tries, she tries, but she, you know, she's one yeah, of she, the worst stunt women. I could try, but no one would cast me. That's the point. She, I just, she's I've worked got, with Tarantino before, so I think it's I, more of a kind I've of like a token. I've just got no sympathy for that argument. They're doing their best. Well, so what? They can't do it? It's like she's a stunt woman. She yeah, is exactly. a stunt it's woman. Token, she's not an actress. It's fucking bollocks. I get so sick of this. He casts himself and he's no good. And he keeps casting her and she's no good. Don't cast her. There's plenty of people out there who can actually act. He can't see it. He can't see it. But anyway, yeah, uh, he shoots them along the way and then we cut to... Shoot out inside, really. Yeah, basically he's waiting for them when they come back and, uh, yeah, he calmly just his sister's sort of taking over the place now uh, smallish role but mm. his sister's going to take it over she has a very similar quality to the woman from the departed in Bates Motel Vera Farmiga mm. similar quality that could easily have been Vera Farmiga in this role although she's a little bit younger yeah I I lost that the previous scene I've almost underestimated, even though I've just slaughtered it for a couple of minutes, I think I've almost underestimated how much it damages this film. Because this shootout at the end, I don't care. I'm mm. pissed off by the film by now. And when he's outside at the end and it blows up and he turns and does that sort of look to his wife, I just feel like, oh, fuck off. And that, that, <laughs> that should be a really do, empowering... Do, doing the fancy trip the horse and... It should be a really empowering moment after everything he's gone through. And he had my sympathy all the way through. I, like I say, I think the, the depiction of slavery in this is, is really quite visceral. But that, that scene killed this film. And, and I really resented everything that came after. I just wanted to leave by now. I was really pissed off. The moment, the moment they killed off like King Schultz. Don't mind the character dying, but he should have died... died died much closer to the end credits than he did in terms of the way the film was laid out and then yeah we had 20 minutes of this bullshit and like tarantino indulging himself and then putting another woman in who's not an actress as well and you just think it ain't just the fucking club quentin this is a profession put professionals in not just you fancy it and and zoe bell's a friend why not so yeah but i really really i've, I've almost overreacted to it because it's not that offensive but I just remember by the time he sort of turned and did that look to his wife. Now when I watch it, there's an element of like, I'd love to have seen what happens next and what the adventures might be and what he might become. But in the moment, I was totally like, yeah, credits, please. I'm, it, I'm done. It, it, it's just a cheesy, yeah, cheesy kind of thing. I mean, it, 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 he does get his moment. Like, you know, he does basically pick them off one by one. You get the... Say, uh, Miss Lily, is it Miss Lily goodbye? And then goodbye, Miss Lily. Yeah. Yeah. That's like unexpectedly funny, even though you kind of think, well, she wasn't really, I didn't really see her do anything that bad, but okay. And he kneecaps uh, Stephen, of course. Yeah. Um, it, it's all pretty brutal. I mean, it's, um, and, and uh, yeah, his howls are really, really piercing as well, the, of pain. Um, you can tell at all stages he's still a very very talented director and at all stages he's, he's really committing to the actors actually 
giving forth sort of voice to what this is like. So, yeah, that's the end of the film, isn't it? Yeah. Rides uh, off, rides off free with his wife. Who looks like she's never been a slave a day in her life. No, she... by that scene. By then, I mean she's just too neat and well coiffed and self-confident and everything. Most of, for most of the films, I bought him as a slave because he was kind of quiet and a bit buttoned down and I knew his place relatively. She, yeah, I, I never quite buy Kerry Washington as a as a slave, but that might kind of that might almost be deliberate. Yeah, I mean, she, yeah, to say that she's like, she's too good looking to to be a. Yeah, you're almost supposed to not believe she yeah. would ever be a slave. No one deserves to be a slave. I don't know why I'm putting language, limiting language in here. Like anyone would think we're fucking pro-slavery. Of course we're not, but like. Um, I am. Joking. But, I, 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 but I'm feeling the need to go. Well, I'm not saying this, but but you know, I mean, the fact is, when I say they knew their place, I don't mean that was their place. When I say she's too good to, when I when I do say she's too good to they be a slave, they were asking for it, weren't they, Dave? Yeah, that doesn't mean the rest of them are not too good to be slaves. That's not what I mean at all. But when I look at her, I fundamentally, I can't see her as a slave. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's again, it's context, isn't it? That's that's all we're kind of like talking about. We actually, but I think that's in context I think that's of the time the, and I think being that's accurate. Half the point yeah. That you've got to believe she's quote unquote too good for it. Mm. Fucking awkward subject, isn't it? <laughs> Just like right, everyone else isn't too good for it. Is that what you're saying, Dave? <laughs> yeah. I'll do my final thoughts quickly. I haven't got an awful lot to add. I, just, I walked out massively disappointed by this film, end up ranking it quite low. But actually, the film dies at about 2 hours, 25 minutes, I'm conservatively guessing. It wasn't as good as Inglorious Bastards. It, it just wasn't. But, I mean, that had, that had a wonderful cast and... And, and a more interesting story in a lot of ways. Not a more interesting topic, but a more interesting story. But I was loving this. Right the way through the early bits of Candyland, they get to dinner. I, as great as Leo was, the scene was a touch too long, but it, it finished with a bit of a shootout, and I thought, wow, this is quite a wonderful end to the film. And then that other scene came along. Um, I'm used to self-indulgent cameos and, and the odd bit of... He's really good at casting, but he always gets something wrong somewhere. You know, in a big enough cast, there'll always be one that you look at and go, really? But the problem is, here, it's the same mistake he's made several times. It's him and Zoe Bell. And it's like, you're not actors. Get Please get it through your heads. The fact that you've done acting, Quentin, and probably started as an actor, doesn't make you an actor. Your calling is writing and directing, and you're really, really good at it. Stop casting yourself. You're fucking terrible. And if you're going to cast yourself, don't do an Australian accent. Because you can't do it, frankly. Fuck, I, fuck! I can't really do an Australian accent, so. Well, yeah, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give myself, I wouldn't hire myself to do one. Because that's what he's done. He's hired himself to do an Australian accent. You know, I mean, the thing is, though, there's like, was there any need for it, for them to be Australian? No. I mean, basically, if you're hiring for a film, and you think, right, what are the attributes of that character? getting towards middle age Australian right if your first thought to who would be ideal casting for that isn't me <laughs> don't cast yourself unless of course you are Australian then in which case well that might be unless you're Hugh Jackman or something you know? yeah, Hugh Jackman I don't <laughs> mind playing Australians <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, or Chris Hemsworth, or... But, I mean, the, the thing is, it was an insult after an insult after an insult. The scene shouldn't be there. That's partly the problem. Quentin Tarantino shouldn't be there. That's problem too. And then having made those two mistakes, you get him to open his mouth and speak like that. And it's like, no, that's all wrong. And then they go away from there and you see Zoe Bell and you just think, you have completely fucked up the last 20 minutes of this film. All for scenes that didn't need to be there. So, yeah, a bit disappointing. But overall, it's a beautiful-looking film, beautiful-sounding film, well-acted film. Um, it's in the same universe of quality as most of Tarantino's work. So those caveats aside, I enjoyed it quite a lot. And I'm really I'm looking forward to getting to the uh, to, to next week's episode as well because we've got a slightly different sort of... a very different type of Western then as well. What about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, I... I feel the same, even though not quite as strongly, Dave. Um, though I do, I one thing I will add that it is just an effort, effortless watch. I mean, regardless of its flaw of its flaws, and I do do agree that it is too long, uh, largely down to structural issues in the, in the narrative. I think it could have been handled a lot more better and um, and more thought thought out in that regard. And but. It is an entertaining watch. I mean, it, it you know, for all, all its faults, and dare I say, it's probably one of the the ones if if you'd say if you'd say okay, which Tarantino film could you just throw on right now? And this this will be up there, even though it might be considered one of the weaker ones. Uh, you you won't mind just casually watching this. I mean, if, I I don't know if some of it's because there's no subtitles. Um, but I could watch this more frequently than Glorious Bastards, probably, even though I prefer that film. So, yeah. What about you, Becca? Um, personally, I'd be more inclined to, if I had the choice, I'd probably be inclined to throw on something like um, Inglorious Bastards or go back to sort of, you know, Reservoir Dogs and, and those kind of films. Um, Pulp Fiction as well, I suppose. Pulp well. Fiction, yeah, definitely. I think I would probably go back to early Tarantino. Um, or Inglorious for sure. Um, I find Jackie yeah. Brown is easiest watch. Yeah, Jackie Brown's a long. No, Jackie Brown's about two and a half hours. It's a long film. It's the long one. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs is his shortest, with the exception of various cuts of Death Proof. Sure. Mm. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, but Jackie Brown's like fine dining, isn't it? You want to like sort of. You want to take your time and savor up that shit, really? But <laughs> yeah, but I could I could watch that yeah. twice in two days. I couldn't watch Inglorious Bastards when I watched it yesterday. I just couldn't. Um, this this film's somewhere in between. It's quite enjoyable, but yeah. Do your final thoughts, Becca? Um, yeah, I can't really add much more to what I said at the beginning, really. Um, and that's it, really. But um, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's it in a nutshell, I'm afraid. Help, I'm in a nutshell. Let's not do that. How do I get out of this nutshell? There's one John that's inside this nutshell. What is this? This is crazy. So, I genuinely don't feel that informed about this film. I know, I know, I know, when, normally, we just say that as a lead in. I'll, I'll give loads of facts over two hours. Clearly, I've read loads on it. And at the end, I'll go, read me some stuff from IMDb trivia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we spent yeah we spent two hours talking about the film and then say we don't know much about it. So. Yeah, giving you all the facts. I've read Dave, so, Dave yeah. has given you all the facts. Have I? Is there no extras? No. 
That's it. No fun facts this week. That's not fun, folks. <laughs> So anyway, social media, folks. Uh, you can find me at Cinematronics on Twitter, uh, even though I don't barely tweet, but there you go. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the website's of, of, of more interest because we're losing episodes from... Yes, of course, yes, so you can find me at uh, Cinematronics... Oh, you can find the these episodes at Cinematronics.co.uk, uh, which you can find all our episodes. Uh, maybe I need to do a subcategory of all the... Bottom- no, no, well, you can always find the, all the episodes on there anyway, so you can just search for our episodes. It is, so, yeah, it's searchable by month at the moment, which is... You can search back then, by year as well. I think if you go back to yeah, I mean, basically, you'll find out early episodes. Is it not like it's not a search bar, or am I just imagining There might be a search bar, but if you go randomly looking for episodes, you, mm. you're searching by month. Yeah, really. if you scroll down the page, only because um, there's a new Bond group on Facebook called the Hildebrand Group. Um, and I gave a bit of a plug. I said, like, come visit us on um, Cinematronics, and I was looking for um, Our Majesty's episode. And I had to scroll all the way back down the years. Um, I managed to find a link to it, but no, there's a search bar on there, um, and you can search via month that would have and been like, year. That would have been like September, October 15. Mm. Yeah, something it was like that. a long time. It was a fair time now. It was a long time, a couple um, years ago. And of course, we've done some of our sort of favourite Bond films recently, and some of them were the later ones and things like that. We, we were about to start commentating on Bond films that we haven't seen, like or we haven't as a team looked at in like getting on for three years. Which is going to be interesting, but um, it's you hard can find to believe. me. Hard to believe. Yeah, you can find me at the Plastic Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk on Facebook.com slash Expect Us to Talk, and we are also on the YouTube. If you type in Do You Expect Us to Talk, and you can also do the same on iTunes. And don't forget to give us a glowing five star review, pretty please. This helps us to uh, rank high in the listings. And, and as always, you, you can drop us an email at expecttalk at gmail.com. And, it, and if you only know us from iTunes, we might review the Bond series one day. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah, our, our episodes, as we've explained, our episodes are disappearing from iTunes. So yeah, please go just, over to Chris's website. We might just do them again. <laughs> I think we probably will, you know. I would like to. Um, but maybe It'll go and do more of a deep dive for episode. That I don't know cool. how much deeper we could go. They were getting on for three-hour episodes already. It's you know? sort of like a I don't know book versus film comparison or something. I, I know about. that. I know though, if we do the, if we were to do the rankings again, I would do them purely on preference because I've got to give a different spin. I've got to give a different spin than just ranking that sort of balance of quality and stuff I tried to do last time. I would literally just rank them in the order I want to watch them. So there's no argument yeah. quality then, is there? It's just, well, no, I want to watch that more than that one. Forget whether it's better or not. Mm. Anyway, we're coming to the end of the Quentin Tarantino series. Before we announce next week, let's just tell people where we're going after this. Um, we have agreed a little interregnum series. What we've tried to go sort of um, short series, long series. It's not an exact science, but Tarantino is a fairly long series. And then if we go straight into Marvel, that's at least... 20 some episodes so we're gonna do well the next few episodes are going to be becca's choice of bond commentary after next week which she can either tell us now or tell us at the time 
Then we're going to do the Godfather trilogy, which I couldn't be more excited about. I'm always excited for a new series, but the Godfather trilogy is full of like wonderful extras as well. Deleted scenes and really good commentaries and really good trivia. Um, and the making of those films was interesting, particularly the first one. Coppola had a nightmare making the first one. So looking forward to telling those stories. Also looking to give the definitive answer is which is better, The Godfather or The Godfather Part 2. And also, I think I might be a little bit of a Godfather 3 defender, so that could be interesting. Then we go to Chris's choice of Bond commentary. But before we then move on to Iron Man, we're going to do a a quick trilogy of Star Wars episodes we've missed. We promised you an Empire Strikes Back commentary, so we're going to do one. Uh, And then we've got The Last Jedi and the forthcoming Solo to review. So Charlie Brigden will be back in June for those. And then we will move on and close out the year, probably, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I can't wait to have Charlie back on the show. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's been... I suppose everyone's been chopping the bit to hear what we think of Last Jedi. That'll be an interesting... Uh... Well, we've recorded mm. right, two of those three episodes we've recorded before. But I don't mean we're sat on the recording. I mean, we lost the recording. Yeah, um, we'll have to do them again. We got to about ten minutes from the end of The Empire Strikes Back and the recording failed. And we got well, maybe... Halfway through. Halfway, halfway through. Yeah, technical problems. Last Jedi, we got a fair way through as well. We'd recorded... It's something to do, and we want Charlie on the show. I really want Charlie on the show, but it does it does seem to add risk to the recordings that we've had more fail when there's four of us on. Because we've... we've but, it's I mean, just like bigger bandwidth, isn't it, really? Well, we've had, the, we've had them fail with three of us. I mean, we had the first time we recorded Creed failed. But, I mean, Star Wars. The Star Wars episode... I think it was the first Star Wars yeah, episode. We had the recording fail. Charlie had recorded a backup, and I had to mammothly boost the volume on his line because he was coming through like a whisper. Um, and that's come out as an almost as a pretty much you can. The only way you can tell is if you listen to the original Star Wars episode. There's a slight clicking noise. That's all. Apart from that, you can't tell. But we we had two of these three episodes pretty much recorded. But we will have to do them fresh. But I think probably, I think sometimes, particularly with a film like Last Jedi, it's nice Which to have a bit, really of, a yeah. bit of time to sort of like, okay, well, let's let's meditate on it. Let's you know get a chance to rewatch it and get a bit of. We, we, it won't be. I mean, the the slight spoiler on it is that it it isn't like Spectre in that I didn't get beguiled by the shiny shiny, and now I don't think it's very good. My opinion hasn't changed that greatly, but because it became out to such a backlash, I think I would have. I think I probably would have, and probably did, slightly over defend it in the first little mm. review. I think now I'm a little bit more balanced, and I'm going to be broadly fairly positive about that about that film. Um, like it or hate it, I'm afraid we can only give our opinions. Uh, there are things about where they've gone with the film that I think are quite brave. And actually, I like the approach more than the end result in some ways. Having said that, I think it might just have taken a big piss over the trilogy. And we, we can talk about that when we get to it. But they, they, I, I don't think... I think Star Wars needs to be a producer-led series. And I don't think it's quite as producer-led as we thought. But we'll get to that when we cover it. In the meantime, we have one remaining Quentin Tarantino film, which means Becca. Do you expect to talk or return with The Hateful Eight? And three of us as well, so about 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there will be eight of us on the show, just, you know, 